I am Nick, and this is episode number 134. Uh, Nick, well, you, as you know, you know if, if Dan keeps what? skipping Dude, out, you know what happens when you interrupt. Dude, if, if Dan oh. keeps skipping out, man, we might have to make this version 3.0. <laughs> yeah, this is version. How many weeks off do we give him before this is our Sealy Nation version 3.0 without Dan? <laughs> well, we'll yeah. have to bounce back and forth between 2.0 and 3.0 depending on which hosts are available. Yeah, oh, yeah on the staff true. situation. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Well, no, Dan. Uh, Dan called last minute. He is down with a, a funk, some sort of flu, bug, nasty. He sounded bad. I mean, bad, bad. So hmm. either he's a really, really good faker or it's legit. But we give him our, our best wishes. So, Dan, hopefully you do get better. Um is and Ed thanks also for the sick. free ride. I think yeah, we he get is free a, rain to pitch him shit. He's a pretty good faker. Yeah. Yeah, when you call out sick, that's it, dude. You're going under the bus. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Game on. I mean, there's legitimate so, obligations and then they're sick. So. Yeah, I mean, you know, if if this was a podcast <laughs> yeah. where we all sat in the same room, he could use the excuse of not wanting to get the rest of us sick, but that doesn't fly. No. So his ass should be on here recording of, with us. <laughs> big case of sissy. Well, as you all have heard uh, with us this evening, we have Justin say hi. Hello. And Jesse. What's up? Yeah, yeah we kind of did that a little bit backwards, but that's mm-hmm. all right. Uh, yeah, so who, you know what? I'm actually going to start this week. Yeah, because Nick, I, I think like, you, you deserve to start this week, dude. <laughs> Go for it, Well, dude. because Let's I just it. want to get it over with. Go. Do uh, it. Uh, I am in a funk, and I can, I'm just okay with admitting I am in a funk. I posted that up today. I, things just didn't go well. Very, very good this week. Uh, last weekend, family stuff got, you know, took, took charge. We had Easter, two Easters, because everyone needs two. Uh, weather when didn't really cooperate. searching for a hundred eggs isn't good enough, search for two hundred. <laughs> That's absolutely <laughs> right. Yeah, about that. Um, no, so it just didn't work out. Uh, I did get out, do a little bit of flying early in the week, and then I had kind of an oddball one happen. Well, after you know, I had put the mini V bar in the Blade Seven Hundred X. Blew out the torque tube gears on the first big punch out because the gain was way too oh, high. And that heli does, yeah, well, you know, it does tune a lot differently. And I, I kind of should have known better, is what it is. Got it swapped back out. I was just starting to kind of tune the icon back in. And lo and behold, second flight, I lose the tail midair. Hmm. 
And this was in a hurricane, in a backwards hurricane. I'm not going to say full speed, but we were moving along pretty good. And boy, let me tell you, <laughs> there's nothing worse than the feeling of watching your heli pirouette unintentional in a hurricane. Because I've had that happen before, and usually it's catastrophic. Well, despite the horrible luck of it happening, I'm going to say that the heli gods were on my side. I actually happened to get the timing correct on the pirouette and got it completely leveled out inverted. Nice. Uh, Very Dug into the negative. Yeah, I was even shocked. Dug into the negative and got the head speed pretty much completely killed. You know, I'm going to say it about seven, eight feet. So considering what happened... I tweaked the boom ever so slightly. One tail blade. Um, the torque tube gears in the front, which I'll get to what actually happened. Uh, canopy. And that's it. Not even a main blade, dude, or, or like not a link? Not even a main blade. So nope. how'd you pull off a canopy but not a blade? The way they were... They, I'm, I'm not kidding when I said they were completely stopped. Like, they stopped... And the way it kind of fell, you know, inverted, but kind of laying over on the sides with the blades, you know, parallel with the boom. So it just kind of, boom, smashed down Uh, mostly on like the front right of the canopy. And then from when the tail went back and hit, it only broke one tail blade. Um, And just that little bit of jar tweaked the boom a little bit. I I mean, dude, I'm not going to complain at all because it could have been way worse. I did... You know, I had mentioned once before uh, when I did that canopy bump on the 7. I call it a canopy bump, but, dude, I freaking just slammed it into the ground. <laughs> um, I never broke a link or stripped a servo arm on that one, but that one accident did induce some slop into the servos. Mm-hmm. All three cyclic servos, mm-hmm. like, equally. Well, this one, believe it or not, same thing. I did not break anything in the head. But now they have about twice as much slop as they had before, all equally. Oh, that sucks. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I'm kind of bummed out about it. They all still work, so I can re-gear them. Uh, but it was kind of that amount of slop where it's like, all right, dude, I yeah. <laughs> I can't let this go. Not feeling um, it. Di- yeah. No, uh-uh. I ended up putting a... a different set of servos in the goblin um i'm i've got a set of expert they're called expert servos in there they're kind of just something that i'm testing out for someone as a favor so i had my my mks servos the 665 and 669s is that right justin that's it yeah those ones which i had some gears for after the 700 edfc crash so i i think i'm just going to go ahead and put those in the blade Unfortunately, my dummy self, um, I need to get one more set of servo gears. I thought I only needed two, but I needed three. So, you know, I I put a lot of flights on that. Oh, yeah, I guess everyone wants to know what happened. So, it's one of two things. I cannot conclude uh, which one. It's pretty much going to be impossible. But ultimately what happened is the... So you have your tail transmission 
in the front boom block, the vertical shaft, uh, the upper bearing on that vertical shaft seized. And thus the outer race of the bearing spun in the plastic boom block and continued to spin very rapidly Mm -hmm. (laughs) and to the point where it created a hole about twice the size of the bearing and moved straight up about a, I don't know, two millimeters. I mean, it, I oh, mean, this nice. thing was like roto rooter, huh. dude. Yeah. So it pretty heat, much it, disengaged from the other gear. That's correct. <laughs> yeah, it did. And you know what? Not one single tooth was gone on those gears. Hmm. All right, that sounds like a very plausible direct cause. What's the root cause? (laughs) Well, so it's one of two things. I mean, A, because of the plastic, if a bearing seizes, it's, I mean, it's not going to take long, right? Mm -hmm. Now, I'd also like to think that I'm not a complete dummy. I did check those bearings two flights prior. Here's what I'm going to call the most likely cause. I have a habit and always have of putting a very, very, very small drop of CA on the outside of the bearing before I put it in a plastic housing. Mm-hmm. I've always done that on every heli that I've had to keep the bearings from spinning. The only thing that I can legitimately guess other than, okay, the bearing just failed. And, and I mean, hey, that's a possibility. I could have the outer, the shield on the bearing could have popped off, which it was gone. And... You know, a couple balls could have fallen out, and that thing could have disintegrated itself fast. But my guess is that I got a tad too much CA, and there was CA, It, you know, because the way that the bearing sits down in that cup, it wouldn't take too much extra to actually push it up, around, and back in the bearing. Yeah, so you probably uh, sucked up a little bit of CA, and it started getting kind of gunky in there, and yeah. after a flight or two, that was the end. Or it could have, I mean, it could have been seized the whole time and just been spinning in there the first flight. It's plastic, so it's Ooh. not going to screech. I don't you know, know I mean, man, not, but it generate it would generate yeah, heat. That high quickly. of RPM, it's going to yeah. heat up very fast. Yeah. That well, had to have been something that happened just then or whatever the nail in the coffin was. Yeah. I'm guessing it was my fault, but I mean... At this point, doesn't matter. And you know what? I'm not that bummed out about it because, well, A, I am. I'm kind of kicking myself like, you know, none of this would have happened if you just would have kept flying the icon on there, you know, and enjoyed it. You you break that rule. Don't mess with a good flying heli, which I did. I have now really learned my lesson. But, you know, it's all right because I have, I want to say like 150 flights on that heli. This mm-hmm. has been the first problem that I've had. So well, and you an know what? It, That's true. It's, it's better, dude, that, I mean, as, as bad as it sounds, it's better to know that what the problem was. Okay, maybe you put a little too much CA in. Don't do it again. That's an easy fix yeah. than it being some mysterious, you know, the gear was out of round or the plastic was poor quality or some crap like that. Because, yeah, then yeah, the next time heard. you go to fly it. You're just going to, you know, that's always going to be there. Yeah, I've heard of people stripping out the torque tube gears on these. Now, I'm, you know, I I very carefully shim mine, but I know that despite shimming, 
I have heard of some cases. I don't know. I, I don't particularly fly the tail super hard on my helis. I mean, I push it, but I'm not, you know, super harsh tail stops or super harsh reversals or anything right. like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I I put, you know, more of a constant load type flying style on there. But um, I don't know. But I do have to give a huge shout out. Remember a while back when we had seen the Fusuno canopy, Fusuno had come out with this green, new kind of green and yellow and blue canopy. Yeah, yeah. For it. Uh, well, Jesse, you remember the name of it? Oh, is that the one we were talking about? Yeah, the yeah. The Crownie? What was that? Yeah, yes, it was the, the same one as that they had for the 7HV. Yeah. Yep. So immediately I'm like, okay, canopy's tatered. You know, uh, was chit-chatting with a couple buddies. My buddy Edsel, uh, he said, dude, I got a boom block. I'm like, sweet, man. So thank you, Edsel, for hooking me up with that. You know, just trying to help me get back in the air as fast as possible. Uh, And then the next thing was canopy. I'm like, dude, I go hop over to Heli Direct where they got all the canopies. None in stock. Mm. Oh, no way. Like, I was really bumming about it. Uh, I didn't want to buy a stock canopy. I've been waiting for this opportunity. Mm -hmm. Been waiting for that crash. Yeah, exactly. I remember seeing on Facebook that um, I think is it Sergio from Piroflip RC. Yeah, I think that's his I name. So. Sergio. Yeah, he had had a a couple really sick canopies on his Blade 700X, and then I'm thinking, well, wait a minute, if the dude's flying Fusuno canopies, maybe he stocks them. Pop him a message. Sure enough, dude, he's got it. So I said, hey, is there any possible way that I could convince you to ship that out to me? And he did. So huge shout out and thank you very much uh, to Sergio at Piroflip RC. You know, he's kind of serving the the Southwest down there in California. And, you know, going above and beyond normal call of duties, he's got a pretty sick hobby shop down there. And, uh, you know, he doesn't have an online thing, but he went out of his way, got that shipped out to me. So thanks, man. I, I do really appreciate that. Sweet. Awesome, dude. Yeah, so that was the saga with that. So it's getting gone through some new, you know, MKS, well, all rebuilt MKS servos in it. So it'll be all, like, brandy new. And, uh, yeah, that's good. The Goblin, like I said, I've kind of been in a funk. Goblin is not finished yet, still. Whoa, how long has this I been? Know. man. I have one. I, I'm determined to finish it tonight. That's my goal after we record. I have uh, the governor wire to solder up. I ran out of mail servo leads the other night when I was working on it, so I'm just going to solder it straight to the servo cable, you know, the little adapter deal. And then mm-hmm. it's just set up, and it's ready to fly. So mechanically, it's all put together, all wired, all the rest of that's done. Gotcha. So hopefully, if everything goes right, I need to get a good day flying because this this the weather's been crap. The days where I could have flown, like at lunch, it's just, you know, this flight before work, three, four flights at lunch, kind of in a hurry, not... They're just not cutting it for yeah, They're not as enjoyable. Mm-hmm. You're not just kicking back at the field. No, and that's 
yeah, it just got very frustrating. It was a frustrating week of work, and I'm sitting out there where, you know, the wind's blowing, it's cold. Mm-hmm. I'm like, no, I don't want to fly in this. I want to be selfish, I want to complain, and I want to whine about it for a bit. <laughs> and I want, <laughs> I'm okay with it, and I want a good day of flying at the field with my trailer and my generator and all my helis and just to fly and kind of get that reset that reset button yeah because i mean we fly to enjoy flying and you know i've i'm exactly i'm the same way when i go out there and it's windy and it's cold i'm just kicking myself for you know why did i even come out here you know this is not <laughs> this is not what i want to think of when i think of my enjoyable day at the field so yeah and i was kind of you know it's like well i got to go out there and get flights to make sure i keep up with the you know with this competition thing but uh-huh. it I just kind of said I didn't care this last week. It kind of is what it is. I'm not going to get too worked. Uh, I'm not going to go out there and just put flights on it so that I can do something yeah. dumb and make a mistake because my head's not in the game. You know, we had a bunch of stuff to ship out for the podcast this week. And, uh, yeah, just didn't work out. So while I did get flights in this week, it was not many. Um I don't even remember what my flight count's up to. I want to say 193, 94-ish, somewhere around in there. And that, I think that's it. Wow. So that's why I wanted to start, because we need something brighter. Well, I'm going to go next, because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hope Jesse can be even brighter than me, because I got some stuff. In a world where 22 degrees of pitch just doesn't cut it. One tool. All setups. All sizes. All brands. Soko Heli Tools. A unique setup methodology. Soko Heli Tools. Coming to a webpage near you at www.soko-heli-tools.com. Set up different and Soko your hell. Alright, yeah, go for it, dude. And I, and I, and this is this is serious for a moment. I want to have a serious moment. And I'm not I'm not fooling around here. So th- it was a good week, by the way. It was a really awesome week. Uh I got Tons of flights in. I think 39 in total. I'm now up to 212 on the flight count. All good flights. Having lots of fun. Good weather or better weather than it sounds like you guys have had. Justin, I I think I should go first, dude. Really? (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Go ahead. (laughs) So, but, so here's the serious part. Honestly... I almost died today flying my helicopters without a doubt. No joke. I was flying my 770, my SAB 770, Mm -hmm. and it was a little windy, but nothing crazy. And I was I was just having fun, sort of low head speed. I think it was about 1500, 1550, sort of down low. I mean, when I say down low, I don't mean like six inches off the ground, but, you know, doing some lazy, 
uh, half Piro flips and Mobius stuff and all of that at, I'd say, five to ten feet, somewhere in that range. So I had just lifted it off, got about a minute or so of flight into it, and out of nowhere, the heli just starts going crazy, okay? And I'm thinking, I don't know what's going on. I don't have it. I it it's I have no control over it. I'm moving sticks. It's not responding. Well, it starts coming back towards me. And I had to dive. Like literally turn around and jump backwards and turn my back to it. And it went in hard, like about two or three feet from me. My wife and kid were there about 20 feet behind me. My my wife didn't know what to think, Marnie. My son was crying because the helicopter just crashed. He has no concept yeah. of the fact that dad almost <laughs> died, but he was sad because the helicopter had yeah. just crashed. I had my my mom and dad with me because they were they've been here for the last week and a half in town helping us out with Charlie when he was sick. And then uh, a, another guy at the field who, and I'll, I'll get to that in, in a few minutes here. So and, yeah. And so which, I, which heli is this just to, this is the goblin seven seventy. Okay. The seven seventy. Seven seventy. So, you know, I, I'm going back through my mind. What happened? I was mid, I think I was mid half Piro flip. Uh, and this is, you know, corroborated by the other observers saying what they saw. And it was about inverted tail in coming around the, the other half of the pyro flip. And it just stopped behaving normally. Tail started pirouetting full speed. The head was all over the place. And when I, I, I initially my initial reaction was, oh, crap. I don't have this. The wind's going to blow it into me because the wind was blowing towards us. Right. And so I said, I'm going to drive it in. Well, I give it negative stick to drive it in. I, I had I had managed to get it pop back up mostly upright. And I go to give it negative to drive it in and it does not move. It keeps coming at me. So at this point, I'm like, OK, this is bad. I'm going to get hit by this thing. I'm not going to take it in the face. I'm going to jump backwards in the hopes that if it does hit me, it's going to get my legs or my back, not my head, neck or chest. Um, And I hope that it doesn't fly off and hit anyone else. But it was pretty obvious it was coming straight for me. So I wasn't too worried about that. Anyway, goes down. I get up, I brush myself off and realize what just happened. Walk over to the heli, the ESC is beeping. That's my first clue of what happened. And so, of course, everyone's like, holy crap. I mean, my wife is absolutely freaking out. My parents don't know what the hell just happened. My son's having a fit because the helicopter's broken. And this kid is absolutely obsessed with helicopters. In fact, last weekend when we were flying, a buddy of mine crashed. And Charlie was hysterical because the helicopter oh, crashed. Uh, and then uh, my other buddy, Dave, who was there, was like, holy crap, I don't even know what just happened. Long story short, I went through all the wreckage, looked at everything, 
and it was completely and totally my fault, guys. So I want the reason I'm saying this and I want to be serious about it is because I want the lesson learned to come out so that no one else makes this mistake. The reason why I lost control is because I over discharged my receiver pack. And the reason why I over discharged my receiver pack is because I was hanging out, having a good time, talking with my dad, with with Dave, with my mom, with my my wife, you know, hanging out with my son. And I had all of my charged receiver packs sitting in one location on the table. And I pulled the old receiver pack off the 770 that I, I, I meant to change out because I checked it. And I went to go and put the new one on and I must have gotten distracted with something, walked away, came back a few minutes later and mistakenly that pack, the old pack had gotten shuffled in with the rest of them. And I must have picked up the old pack and stuck it back in there, Mm. assuming that it was a good one because it came from the pile of good ones. And it had about enough juice into it or in it to get me about a minute or two into the flight. Wow. Yeah. So if you guys are running receiver packs, please, please, please watch that. I'm going to I have to rethink how I'm going to do this going forward because it was I mean, it was scary. It was honestly scary. Like I had to take a step back there for a second and and take a deep breath and think I could have, I could have just been killed. Like that was serious business. The other, the other lesson learned honestly is have a backup solution. I had just planned to stick the OptiGuard on the 770 because I've been flying it for the review. I've been flying it on the T-Rex and it's been working great. No problems at all. And I figured, well, I want to, for the review, I want to be able to say that I've flown it on a couple of different helis so I can talk about how to, you know, integrate it and where to mount it and stuff like that. And this weekend, it was my plan to put that on the 770. And if I had that or my Scorpion backup guard on there, then we wouldn't even be talking about this. Yeah, those, since those two devices have come out, they're just... I mean, wow. But you know what? I say that, but then I don't run them uh, on a receiver yep. pack, Kelly. I generally don't. Yep. Now, I will say that I am a complete, because I am like the, or used to be, again, used to be, the battery over discharge king. Mm-hmm. I, uh, my, my cell checker, Mm-hmm. I check each battery, and I mean each, as in both flight and my receiver packs, every single flight. Yep. yep. Right I, I'm the same way, dude. I'm meticulous about it, and I will not o- over-discharge my receiver packs below like 3.8 or 3.85. But do you, uh, okay, do you check them and then put them on? What do you mean? Like, so do you have a receiver pack in your hand? Do you check it, and then will you put it on the heli? No. So the way I do it, I've got little Gen Zace 1300 milliamp uh, 2S lipos, 
And on the Goblin, for example, it just Velcros up underneath the main flight pack. And so I leave it on there and I know how many flights I can get for the 770. I can get about three flights, maybe four, depending on how hard I've been flying it. And what I do is I slide the main pack in, strap it down. I always double check that I've charged that main pack because I'm the same dummy you are. How many times have I gone up and gotten LVC after 30 seconds and toasted a $300 flight pack? Because I wasn't paying attention, not recently, but it's happened in the past. And then after I do that, before I plug the the power into the fly barless system, I yep. always sell check the receiver pack. Yep, same thing mm-hmm. I do. The problem was in this particular case, I sell checked it while it was sitting on the table and said, "Yep, this one four point one nine per cell, good to go." And then I turned around. And I came back and I must have got it mixed up and I stuck stuck on the same one. So, yeah. I mean. That's, the, and that for that reason is why I don't. I, well, I'm not saying I don't check them in my hand, but I yeah. always check them on the heli. Once it's mounted. Right before I'm <laughs> yep. ready to go fly. Well, right and, and this one, honestly, this experience is enough for me to say. I've got to fly backup guards on every heli that I own because it's not, I mean, so, you know, the, the helicopter damage aside, and we'll get to that in a minute. I could me or someone else there could have been seriously injured. And in order to have prevented that, it only cost 40 or 50 bucks for a backup yeah. solution. You know, and, and I'm not saying that the backup solution should be the fallback or excuse for you to be lazy about checking your receiver packs. You still got to stay on top of that, but you know, no one's perfect and we're coming into the fun fly season and we've all been stuck in crappy weather and we want to get out there and fly. So when we're out there, we may not be focusing as much on these things and it's easy to make that mistake. So, you know, just watch yourselves. If you're not going to fly with a backup solution, please come up with a system that allows you to be sure that you're not running a bad RX pack. And, you know, the the. So, yeah, OK, the helicopter, the helicopter crash, that is what it is. I, I, I honestly don't give a crap that that was not my concern. My concern was that everyone was safe. But after all of the dust settled. I felt a lot better, honestly, knowing that as bad as it was, it was something that I did wrong and and it's simple to fix yeah. because initially when I was trying to diagnose it after it happened, I was completely perplexed. Like I didn't know what was going on. I couldn't think of why it had done that. I was checking the fly barless system. I was checking the receiver and then I went back and checked the flight pack and there it was 3.17 and 3.03 per cell. So mm. 770 goes in. It's pro- it, you know, it's not horrible. These things don't crash as bad as everyone thinks they do. It's probably a $300 crash. So, you know, for a goblin and, and a 770 size goblin, no less. Yeah, that's not, I'm not going to complain. That's with Here's, blades. Here, that's not with blades. No, but ah, why do you always do that? Well, be, I'll tell <laughs> you why. I'll tell so you why. Because when Nick decides crash. to actually send me my 753s back, 
I will have blades. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you got to self-factor that I'm into just the trash cast. I know. <laughs> yeah, that's that's okay, total fine. trash cast. Yeah. 450 bucks. There yeah, we go. Yeah. And now, a canopy. Nothing stings like 450 stings. Yeah, so that was, okay, so that's with $170 you just blades. crashed the size of a helicopter. Yeah. <laughs> that's a good crash. That's a good yeah. crash. Job well yeah, done. Yeah, yeah. That was with the canopy, though, Jesse. Okay. And the boom got torn in half. It broke one side frame, oh. bent oh. one of the main rotor uh, or main grip arms, but they're the new removable ones, mm-hmm. and then broke one of the new plastic landing gear supports. So I did, So did you, I, I know you said, and to kind of go back there, I guess, what had happened right at the beginning, I know you said you tried to give negative pitch. Did it not respond to a throttle hold input either, or how did it... How did it respond when it hit the ground then? Did it just immediately, the throttle stop or did it strip out the... Well, so the, yeah, that's a good question. The first of, and I didn't, I didn't mention this explicitly, but the first instinct was obviously hit throttle hold. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, but at that time, that was so early on when I first recognized that I, that something was going wrong, I immediately hit throttle hold, but I didn't know at that time that it wasn't responding. Because things gotcha. were happening so fast. Yeah, of course. So I hit throttle hold. I'm in throttle hold and I'm looking at it and I'm trying to control it. And I see it's coming at me. And at that point, when I know that it's not taking any tail input and I don't think it's taking cyclic input. At the time, I thought I was getting some sort of input out of the head. It turns mm-hmm. out I wasn't. I turned around and ran and dove. And while doing that, I held down negative. Gotcha. The tragedy in all of this is that when I dove, I landed on top of my 8FG. Oh, no. (laughs) And aside from getting a little dirtied up and having some mud in it, the antenna popped off. Like, I broke off the antenna. So I I pick up the radio, and the antenna's just, like, dangling there. By, by you know, the actual, the physical antenna, the little wire. Yep. And I'm thinking, oh, man, this, that, that's just salt in the wound. Yeah. You yep, know, at that point, because honestly, I, I mean, I was shaken up, but I, I, after I figured out what was, what happened, it was easy to say, okay, that's not going to happen again. As yeah, long that's... as I watch my packs, I can still go out and fly, except... <laughs> I'm not going to trust the radio until I pull it apart and check it. And even then, I don't know. I I'm paranoid about radios, guys. I don't like messing with that crap. So I don't know what I'm going to do with that. Uh, Is that 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 one really? I know for Spectrum, you can just buy another antenna. Is that the same for the Futaba? Yeah, I think it just pops onto the. It it literally just plugs right into the board. I don't. It does, but. I'm not sure whether the board got damaged uh, when it when I got it when I pulled it out. That's why I want to open the whole thing up and double check. Yep, yep, of course. Of course, what made it a little bit easier to stomach is Marnie says to me, my wife says to me, I said, damn, dear, this sucks. I can't believe after all this, I broke my radio. Now I got to figure out if I can open it up and fix it or get a new antenna. And she's like, dear, this hobby's already expensive to begin with. Just go buy yourself a new radio. Do it right. <laughs> and I'm like, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Awesome. I, I thought to myself, wait a minute, did I just get a blank check to like go and buy a yeah, new radio? No, wait a minute. How's yes. that work? You drive a 770 into the ground and belly flop on your radio and your wife's response is, why don't you just go buy a new one? You know what I would get? The first thing would be, well, how much is that going to cost? <laughs> Kayla, if you're listening, hint, hint. There you go. Yes. Take <laughs> notes, Kayla. <laughs> yeah. So. Wow. That's, you win. Uh, you that's my, that's, that was my week. I mean, other than that, I, you know, I had a, I had a good flying week. Like I said, almost 40 flights in. I'm up at 212. The, uh, the speed got its final set of runs on 15 degrees of pitch at 2,500. So I am now in the official stages of writing the review, and hopefully I'll be ready to get that done here in the next couple of weeks. I got a surprise visit today at the field from a listener of ours that we talked about over the last couple of weeks that Nick helped, Dave Penny. He was the guy that Nick spent, was it last weekend, Nick, or was it the weekend before? Uh, Weekend before. Yeah, so two weeks ago. Dave came up to Bellingham so that Nick could help him out with his heli and out of nowhere, you know, it was just, just me at the field and he drives up and says, Hey, I think you're the guy I'm looking for. And I said, Oh really? Who are you looking for? (laughs) And so he introduced himself and yeah, he's, he's an awesome guy. He really is like, he's doing it right, dude. He's taking everyone's advice. He's listening and, and he's not gonna, going to do the thing where he buys twice and buys crap and buys twice. He's going to buy right and do it once. So he was out there taking notes and asking questions and just, yeah, really, really nice guy. One of those people that's just a real joy to, to help out. Yeah. Well, and it's not mind at all. You know that he's going to, once he gets that knowledge and he's confident, he's going to turn around and, and pay it forward and give it back to the next new guy that, that comes around. So that, that was a, that was a real pleasure. I enjoyed that. The other listener experience that I had this week, I was flying, I think it was, yeah, I was flying after work a couple of days ago down at 60 acres park. And this car drives up and this guy, I don't, I don't recognize him initially. This guy says, Hey, how's it going? And I said, Hey man, what's up? He's like, Hey, uh, you know, I could really use some help with my heli. Can you help me fix my heli? And I'm like, uh, okay. What do you got in mind? Kind of thinking like, who is this dude? And he's like, well, you know, I was actually thinking I could go and grab a bite to eat and just leave the heli with you and then I'll come back and maybe you'll have it fixed. And I'm now I'm thinking like <laughs> now I had my sunglasses on so he couldn't completely see my my face. But Your I'm reaction. like, oh, hell no. Like, what is this? And, <laughs> and he no. actually he caught me like I was stuttering a little bit. And he's like, oh, dude, I'm just messing with you. I listen to your show. I was just giving you a hard time. <laughs> Don't punch me in the face. <laughs> oh, Justin. Yeah. Ready to kill so him. so oh. that was, I think that's Dave too. That was another guy named Dave. Hmm. So uh, <laughs> yeah, we had met a couple of weeks back and he was just giving me a hard time, but I just thought that was freaking hilarious. That's rad. Yep. Nice. So got to so figure what, out radio stuff. Got to fix the 770. Man. 
And Othello's wow, not you know, uh, is, is, right is not holding back. It's it's coming quick, dude. You you know how I was saying I just need that one thing to really happen to help pull me out of this funk. Mm-hmm. Damn, how do I feel pretty bad for feeling funked now because <laughs> yeah, this guy did, your sucks way worse. This guy than did mine dive, does. dude. Guy laid it on the line. <laughs> I'm gonna quit complaining now. Yeah, yeah it's all relative. Well, Jesse. All right. Please My, please tell me. Yeah, come on, little... man. You can do it. Let's <sighs> let's right, bring okay. this up cool. a notch. You regroup here. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna start out, you know. I, I wish I would have got in more flights than I than I actually did this week. It it looks like I'm gonna have to settle with thirty seven flights. Oh. oh, oh I beat you by two. That's okay though. That, wow. th- this was this was thirty seven flights in two days. You know that. Oh, that was okay, all I could fine, get out. Dude. So I, right. I literally all had right. to. No, I I agree. You you one hundred percent beat me. I only had two days to get out this week, and that was last Saturday and last Sunday. So I I will. You didn't I, mess around. No. Well, I <laughs> I remember sending you guys a text. It was like Sunday at about I don't know, probably ten thirty in the morning. Going this stupid wind. Like this is you know this is gonna ruin my entire day. But yeah. I stuck it out. I literally sat in my truck for an hour. I'm like, I am, oh, I am not going home. Dan. <laughs> I am not going home. <laughs> this looking at the, you know, keep checking the weather channel app. It says the wind's going to stop. The wind's going to stop. It's, it has to stop. And so after, you know, after sitting for about an hour, kind of just leave the helis in the truck. Nothing's getting super dusty. The, the wind finally calmed down and it got, you know, 65 degrees out and just beautiful weather. So. Saturday got in 13 flights and Sunday 24. Wow. And man. To, were you the only person at the field on Sunday? That I'm I'm the only person ever at the field. Yeah, I am he, the like I am the, 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 he is the, the field. field. Yeah, like without me flying there it's not even a a, a heli field. <laughs> it's just a field. Man. So the great the awesome news in all of this is I got to maiden a heli. And and oh. not just any heli. I got to maiden a nitro. A nitro heli. <sighs> and then we're going to take it one step further. It wasn't just any nitro heli, guys. This was the N7. The N7 oh, man. has been flown. Let's hear it. Come on. So the the maiden, so once once the heli left the ground, everything went great. But there's a little story in the pre-flight that's definitely worth mentioning, and that is I nearly flew this heli with the the uh, the tail completely reversed. <laughs> but luckily, <laughs> luckily I am ex- like very critical. Every single heli after the first flight or after a rebuild, it's check every single control direction with the transmitter, and then check every single fly barless correction or gyro correction direction to make sure you know it's going the opposite of whichever way you tip the head, and the tail's going opposite as well. And luckily, when I did this check, I noticed that the tail was going the wrong way. And what really threw me off is the way that the the gears are up front and the tran- the uh, the torque tube gears in the front, um, depending on which side of the main gear or the the uh, auto rotation gear they are, the tail actually spins the opposite direction as all my belted helis. And so usually, when I'm looking at the back, oh. when I when I'm looking at the back of the heli. If I move the rudder to the right, 
I believe the tail pitch slider moves to the left. And if I move the stick to the left... For leading edge, yes. yes. Well, not for leading edge, because this is leading edge control. The tail is spinning in the other direction. Wait a minute. You're saying that the blade is... The leading edge of the tail blade is coming... Clockwise. coming... Yeah, is coming down towards the front of the heli. Really? So it's it's a... Usually, because I always think of it as the head goes clockwise, the tail goes counter. When you're looking at the heli from the side of the tail. So this one, the head goes clockwise, the tail goes clockwise. So you give oh, a dude. you give a rudder input, the slider goes the same way as your rudder input. So when I was setting it up on the bench, I didn't get all you know. I didn't actually get get behind the tail and look at the pitch of the tail blades. I just kind of set it up to how I was used to. But in my pre-flight check, luckily, I got down right behind the tail, put one tail blade pointing straight up. And gave a rudder input and then pulled the tail which way it would go. And it went the wrong way. So I was like, thank goodness. I, you know, got down there, got right behind the tail and noticed that that was reversed. Because I, I, it might not have been a crash, but it definitely <laughs> would not have you been know, that good. Wow. It's funny because I was talking with uh, uh, David Penny about that when he was up here. I said, you know, we can... I really don't want you to get too caught up in which way the slider's going. Yep. You know, because there's, I've had, uh, you know, like the, well, I can't remember one of the helis. I think the MD, maybe. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, I think the MD is trailing edge. Okay. And so it, it throws everything off. It's like, no, 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 no. If you want to know tail directions, always go by yep. the blades. Just look at Absolutely. which way the blades go. and pu- I look literally the pull the tail. It's like if I see the blade pitch go one way, I just physically grab the tail and move it that way and look at which way the nose goes. <laughs> yep. yep. Yeah, the rave The rave is uh, trailing edge as well on the tail. Yep. I wonder how many people have screwed that up on the N7 on me. Well, because the thing Cause is, is it's, it's not trailing edge. It's not a trailing edge control. It still is a leading edge control tail. It's just going yeah. the other direction. And and it really it's, it's laid out it, it it is clearly stated in the manual. So this is my fault. It's not like he just throws it on you. Okay, it's, that it, was going to yeah, be yeah. my next question because I had the, the tail blades on the right direction. Say, the manual says this mm-hmm. tail spins clockwise. It says when viewed from note, the side. It doesn't quite say it like that, but it says that the tail blades are drawn in the correct orientation in the manual, and it clearly notes on two different pages. Please note tail orientation. This may be different from other helicopters you have flown. Um, and gotcha. so the the tail blades, I you know I had the tail blades on the correct direction. I did catch that. I just didn't, you know, maybe it was late. What whatever, whatever the reasoning is, it was backwards when I went through the setup originally. You know, I'm not. Uh, yeah, that's a. I would think that would be a very very easy one. But really, like no different. I heard a lot of people when I mentioned about getting the collective direction backwards on the Raptor. Mm-hmm. I got a lot of people going, "Uh, yeah, me too. Yeah, me too. Yeah, me too." Because it's like, dude, we're just how many? Yeah, it swash goes up, pitch goes up. It's <laughs> been doing that forever on That's every heli I've ever. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's why you never get caught up in the way a part is moving. Yep. Just watch the blades. Just watch what the blades do. So crisis averted, though. Not a you know, not a huge deal. Ended up getting that switch before the first flight ever happened, and the maiden went great. Um, you know, I, I went pretty conservative on all the gains, made sure nothing was going to shake out of control or nothing was way over gained or anything like that, so I didn't have to worry about uh, torque tube gears blowing up or anything. 
And uh, yeah, so the, the maiden flight went awesome. So last weekend, I ended up putting 14 flights um, on the N7, just under two gallons of fuel through the helicopter in one weekend. And Ooh, let me nice. tell you, nice. I was quickly reminded about, you know, all the things we love about the nitro. You get that extremely, you know, I mean, this thing is two pounds lighter than like a 700 electric. So you get mm-hmm. that really light disc loading, ex- even though I'm only running 1950 on the head. This thing hauls, you know, it's an extremely fast, light heli and you get the long flight time. So, you know, you get, all, I remembered all those positive things about nitro. Then at the end of the day, I'm sitting there going, holy cow, there is so much oil and grease and you see this. <laughs> are you, this heli is, yeah, it's, it was very nasty. dirty. And then, nasty. and then like I mentioned to top it all off, I'm sitting out at the field. It's probably like three 30 on Saturday and the wind starts picking up. And I mean, not just a little bit, we're talking 25, 30 mile an hour, like base speed with gusts up to 40. And this is like out of nowhere. And it's been so dry over here that wind means dust. So I'm, I am just instantly in the middle of like a oily in the middle of a dust storm as fast. I mean, as fast as I could pack up all my stuff and head home. I was literally just, I was running around trying to get everything thrown in the truck, you know, getting all the blade grip holders, helis packed up, throw all the charging stuff in and get out of there. Cause I was just right in the middle of it. And this led That's to the worst dude, this led to about an hour and about half a roll of paper towels worth of cleaning <laughs> <laughs> on the, uh, on the nitro <laughs> nitro. Yeah. Did, yeah. You, did you check your bearings, dude, your exposed well, bearings I, I to never, make sure you don't have problems. So I, I never flew with it in the wind. It was just sitting ah, there okay, and then I good. got every, I, I sprayed everything down and cleaned it off. Good. And then Sunday, um, I kind of, I checked for it, you know, the first couple of flights and there, it didn't seem there was nothing going on. So, um, I did get it all cleaned off. I didn't fly it when it was that dusty and windy. I just more at that point in time, I was just worried about getting packed up and heading home. So that, oh, that man. definitely was, I, I would check that on the negative side of the nitro though. <laughs> A lot of cleanup once I got home. And so after last weekend, this last week was just very, very busy with school. You know, finishing up the semester, I actually had two finals today. And I don't think I've ever studied so much in my life. I know one of these tests I studied for 20, 25 hours. And the only good thing in all of this is I got down this routine, and I did this pretty much throughout the entire week, is this material was, it was fairly, you know, it was new, confusing. I was trying to basically digest as much of it as I could And I found out if I studied for about 45 minutes and then flew the sim for about 15, that seemed to be about the perfect combination of studying. (laughs) So (laughs) that was, that was just enough to like, you know, hit it literally all out studying for 45 minutes to an hour, just as hard as I could go. And then just kind of let the brain rest a little bit and, you know, kick back on the sim. So with about, you know, 20, 25 hours of studying, you could say I got in a fair amount of sim time this week. (laughs) Which is good because I had I'd really been meaning to get back to the sim. It's last I I had hit it hard for about three weeks, and then the last couple weeks, you know, just gets busy, and it seems like in the evenings the first thing to go when there's other stuff to do is the sim time. So it was great to get back on the sim and kind of get, you know, get back in the habit of learning, working on some new maneuvers, cleaning up old stuff. So that's will, cool. 
will take that whenever I can get it. And then today, um, did not get out to the field. The weather, uh, it actually froze here a couple days ago. So it was like 34 degrees out today. So def- that, that just did not sound appealing to me when it was blowing like 15, 34 degrees out. And so I did a little bit of maintenance um, last weekend at the field. I know I've said this before. I always find myself, you know, when I get a head bobble on the 7HV, what's the first thing I do? I go back to the V bar and I think, wow, this is, you know, the, the gains must be off because this is the, I just put the V bar back on there after the swap we had done. And, you know, I was still working on tuning, especially after the show that we had last week. And so I was going through trying to tune the gains and there's just this head bobble that I cannot tune out. I've literally said this like six times and you know, (laughs) what is it? The freaking dampers again. (laughs) So every time, every single time I go and I start going up and down and I'm trying all these different head gains in the V bar with no luck. And I'm like, man, this, I literally can't do this maneuver anymore because the head's shaking so bad. What is, what is going on here? Go ahead get it back to the bench and, you know, give the blade grips a little up and down movement and, Sure enough, there's some play in the dampers. So today, swapped them out and uh, put a fresh set in. And yeah, they were definitely, uh, they were done. <laughs> Dude, those <laughs> things wear out quickly on the 7HV. Yeah, those the head dampers um, in the 7HV, I'm getting, I think what, this like last 70 set I, or 80 flights maybe? Uh, like 125 to 150 usually. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, around, around 125 usually, which these ones... Um, after looking at how many flights I actually have on the 7HV this year, and since I've changed them, I'm well past that. So <laughs> I should have I should have known to change them anyways, but finally got around to it. So I'm, I'm hoping this weekend, um, weather's not looking too great tomorrow, so hopefully Sunday, get out, put some more flights on the N7, of course, get that fine, you know, get the final tuning put on that, and get that flying you know, 100%, and then the 7HV. You know, it should just be a simple, simple tune now, now that I got all the mechanical stuff worked out. Nice, dude. And Very I cool. that sums it up. That brings me up to 221 on the flight count. Oh, nice. Wow, I'm in third. I went from first to third in one week. Dude, am I in second? Yeah. Nick's still in the 100s. What happened? What happened? Wow. Yeah. Nick, we we can call we can it. we can try to judge the validity of Justin's flights. Maybe we should only give him half a flight per flight for like the speed or something. No, that's fine. <laughs> I'll take it. You know what? You know why? I think this is better because uh, you know you and Dan can do your little Othello competition thing, and that's fine. But if we can keep this closer all year long, oh yeah, it's gonna that's keep gonna it make it better. So I'm okay with it. Yeah, because, you, know, you know, I was thinking there had to be, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, but why isn't there a competition between you two? Or should we do like, because, like okay. duos? Justin, the, the one, re- I mean, I feel like the reason you guys have a competition is it, so you guys kind of get it in gear and look at the results it's had on you. Uh, do you know what? He's absolutely that right, That is a dude. fair You point. know, you, you guys were... You, you guys were lagging the first two months of the year, three months of the year. Yeah, yeah, you, you yeah. You were behind. Yep. And so yep. look at, I mean, look at the results this has had. You're you're in second now. 
And I might, you know, I'll have a bad week, maybe two. Yeah. But I always re-self-motivate and then go hammer out a ton, and I'll be back in the yep. game. So I'm yeah, not yeah. worried about that. But if we can keep it no. close, it's it's going to make it interesting. It's going to make it a fun summer of trying to I get agree. the flights in. Yeah, no joke. <laughs> and then it'll get crazy. We get three-quarters of the way through. If we're all close to even, oh, jeez. Oh, you guys, see, this is what's really going to freaking suck is... I'm graduating in December. I have senior projects, senior, senior reviews. I got to try to get that lead oh. by October. After that, it's getting... School yeah, is but, getting But intense. it's going to be... It'll also get harder for us to put in flights consistently That's at that true. time it, of the it year. It will come with winter, which I'm, you mm-hmm. know, is, is maybe my saving grace. But I'm thinking if, if it stays close like this the whole year, looking that far ahead... Yeah. Oh. You in school, you and this internship yeah though. dude you're gonna destroy us all every friday off please yeah i yeah i'll send you some pictures That's, don't worry yeah thanks <laughs> well i think that we should probably do some news justin you want to send us off for the news i would love to send us off for the news In today's heli market, it can be a challenge to find a retailer that stocks a variety of different brands and parts, has great customer service, and boasts fast shipping. I can tell you that Rotary Wing RC has all of this and more. Finally, I feel like I found a place where I can get everything in one order, and I'm confident that I'll get the shipment quickly so that I can get back in the air next weekend. You don't believe it, huh? Trust me. Go to www.rotarywingrc.com now and check out your new go-to online heli shop. This week's news is brought to you by helidaily.com, your daily RC helicopter news magazine. Let's do it, Nick. Alright, well we love ourselves some videos. And you know, one thing that I've really enjoyed watching over the last couple of years is the quality of the videos that are coming out from the hobby. They just keep getting better and better. Uh, here's two fantastic examples. Uh, first one up is a video, kind of like a promotional video, of Kyle Dahl and the Logo 700 and him talking about, you know, what it's like to be a competition pilot and his machine. And, you know, it's just a very, very well put together video. It's got some great clips in it. Uh, just really high quality, uh, and I like to see that. I think it's really neat. It showcases the products well, and it showcases him as a pilot well. So check that one out. Also, is uh, Halo Blades has a pretty sick trailer video that Bobby did, uh, kind of going through talking about the blades a little bit, why they did what they did, you know, why they're such a great blade, uh, and another very very well put together video with some. Fantastic shots. I mean, yeah, you can tell he's been working on that kind of stuff on the sidelines. So uh, nice job, Bobby, on that one. Uh, Burke Hammer has some setup videos out. You know, with the version 3 software, or uh, firmware, excuse me, the version 3 firmware of the Vortex, the Spartan Vortex flybarless system, uh, Burt put out some new setup videos. I think there's five or six total going through the whole entire setup process, how to tweak, tune, that sort of a thing. Uh, so if you're considering getting a Spartan, you kind of wanted to know, you know, what it was like to go through that, definitely watch those because 
by the end of those, you'll have a good idea if it's something you want to try or you don't want to try. Still hearing a lot of positive things about that update. Uh, still waiting for that electric hub. <laughs> <laughs> Not enough positive things. It'll be yeah. here eventually, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. They got to do it. And then, uh, let's see, uh, another fantastic video. Uh, Dieter. Dieter did an awesome yeah. video, dude. Yeah. Dieter did a killer, just killer time lapse of the MD5, well, 5-6, whatever you want to call it. The MD5-6, MD6. I don't really know how to say that. MD5 and a half. MD5 and a half. I'm going to have to figure that out, though, before the MD review, because it's not rolling off the tongue very well. But at any rate, Dieter did an awesome time-lapse video of that build. Uh, now that he's got one, uh, he's flying it, having great luck with it. Uh, again, so if you kind of want to know what that looks like, go through the build process, check that video out. Great job, Dieter. Nice work. I want to know how he did that or how he had the patience to do it, dude, because that is just yeah. awesome. It's... <laughs> With, like, it is, all it, the little, I mean, like, even the scissors cutting the bag open. Yeah, it's, not it, just it, anyone it has is, the patience for one of those. No. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I, no. I'd have got, like, six frames in and been like, yeah. Forget this. <laughs> I'm building this thing. Take a picture at the end. I have, I have a hard enough time when we do, like, a, a review. Yeah, you know, exactly. Stopping to take pictures in the middle of the build. Yeah. You get, like, you get through a major step, and you're like, oh, shit. I was supposed <laughs> to take a picture of that. <laughs> well, you get into it. Uh, all right, so this is what I'm going to call the news of the week. There's a new simulator. Well, a trailer video for a new simulator oh, that's yeah. out. yeah called AccuRC. I know there was a bunch of guys that were beta, have been beta testing this and keeping quiet. Uh, the graphics seem f- phenomenal uh, from the video. Off the charts. It, uh, it looks like the setup and the model tweakability, well, you, well, we use that word, tweakability, tweakability, is pretty big, and it seems very model-related, like, okay, you can reduce your mechanical gain, and not, and I mean, the way the model looks as well, picking different brands of servos to, you know, to put in there. So fun and possibly functionality. Uh, I don't know if, if the graphics look like that, then it, it will be leading. I mean, it will be industry leading. No question. It, the model details are just blowing my mind. Yeah. Oh, it's yeah. it's yeah. crazy. I, I don't know what. It, there's two things that re- are I'm really curious about. A, okay, that's great if it looks awesome, but how's it going to fly? Yep, you know, and that that's re- ultimately what it yeah, comes down to. Yeah, that's the main to. thing. Uh, and B, what com- you know, what computer resources are you going to have? That's what I was just going to say. What computer am I going to have to buy just to be able to fly the sim? <laughs> Absolutely, and will it be able to be turned down far enough? You know, to be flown on an average person on a PC. typical PC, yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah, I mean that's that's incredible if you can get that out of it with like a gaming PC. I mean, dude, I'm I'm totally game for that. And is it Mac awesome. compatible without a Windows partition? Probably not. Damn, probably not. That was I don't even think that was a good question. 
Well, <laughs> you know, I got to no. ask. I, I would hope so. I mean, hopefully, but yeah. Hopefully. At this point, I'm not, I'm not gonna, really planning on it. I'm so used to it now, exactly, yeah. that it doesn't really bother me. Um, but we'll see. I, I think there's a, it shows a lot of promise. Mm-hmm. But then again, so did that other one. Which what was still that? hasn't the, the next. come out. Yeah. Phoenix? No, the... <laughs> that, <laughs> <laughs> You remember Phoenix? Oh, sorry. Um, what was yeah. it called? Yeah. Yeah. Um. yeah. I had that when I had a Raptor. Yeah. A Raptor 50. Mm-hmm. Oh, it was called. It was by Outmotion. Oh, that's I'm still, right. I still have the site saved. Let's see. Oh, it now says simulation. So it was Simulation X, and it now says Project Stopped on the website. Oh, there you oh. go. Yeah, wise men say, don't put out a trailer video until you're ready. Yeah, until you're closer. Look, look like a dummy. Well, that's all. Uh, that wraps up my news. Anyone else got any news? I have news straight from Team MKS. We Ooh. have a new set of servos coming out. These are the HBL 990s and 960s. 990s, the tail. 960 is the cyclic, pretty standard uh, numbering convention. If you're, you know, if you know about the other servos that they do. And these, you know, these servos are really awesome looking. They honestly, they look like the baby brother version of the X8s. They've got mm-hmm. the same CNC machined, all aluminum anodized case with the nice cooling fins on the heat sink, like the main body of the case, red and silver. But they their specs are, I'll call them more down to earth for a 700 class heli. That's all relative, right? Because they've still got amazing specs, but they're not the, you know, 25 or 30 kilogram centimeters that you get out of the the x8s uh these guys come in they're they're high voltage servos of course high voltage brushless at 8.2 volts they're 18.6 kilogram centimeters which if i do the math here let's see anyone want to take a guess a lot um 300 ounce inches I think you're about right, Jesse. Hang in. Enough. Enough. <laughs> it will push your 700 across the sky. Yeah. So it's it's somewhere in the high 200s, I believe. Okay. They don't the, on the stats that they that we've got on this news article on Heli Daily. It doesn't have the numbers, but you guys can do the conversion for yourself. They're beefy. Okay. They weigh in at 70 grams, which is it's a little bit heavier than your typical plastic case servo. But again, this is an all metal case servo with a heat sink. So pretty reasonable when you consider that the speed on the cyclics are 0.09 at eight volts and on the tail 0.03. That is freaking. I mean, they, they these tail servos keep getting faster and faster. Yeah, it's blowing my mind. So manufacturer suggested retail price for the cyclics are going to be 182.49 and for the tail 187.49. 
So still pricey, but I think these are going to be a set that it's sort of the the midway point between the HBL 950s and 980 and the X8s. And I think we'll see a couple of other changes coming from MKS here pretty soon, but I can't say anything yet. Hmm. So if you want to sex up the heli and do it with some really awesome bulletproof gear, here you go. I think that's it. Yeah. That's all I got. Awesome. And again, this week's news brought to you by HeliDaily.com, your daily RC helicopter magazine. So, guys, got a question for you. Where is your one-stop shop for high-powered motors, upgrade performance parts, and, of course, some sexy bling for nearly any model of heli? Definitely KDEDirect.com. That's right. So whether you want to turn your heli into a performance machine or you just want it to stand out a little bit, visit KDEDirect.com for all your upgrade needs. You know, uh, I have been flying a KDE motor for quite some time now. And there is one thing that is more important than me talking about that motor at this exact moment in time. And that is wishing our listener, Bill Downey, a happy birthday. Oh, yeah. Happy birthday, Bill. Happy birthday, Bill. Yeah, and you're probably going to go... What is he, 29? I thought it said 26. He's 39. (laughs) (laughs) He's 39. (laughs) 39. You know, he's got a a little bit of a unique situation because... like he's lucky to me. (laughs) Lucky, yeah. (laughs) I don't even know if the word lucky applies to this lucky. Yeah, he's got a a pretty cool wife that hangs out with him, goes out with him when he's going flying, goes to the fun fly. I mean, the whole deal. Sounds like she even and, she uh, even listens to us get on here and talk she, every week. Yeah, I she mean, listens to the podcast. Yeah. And she was the one that sent us this. So, Bill, happy birthday. Go kiss your wife because she's an incredible woman. And get some flying and, uh, in. And get some flying yeah. in. Bring your wife and get some flying in. Yeah. Absolutely. And don't forget for sending us the mail, agent. Elizabeth. Yes. Yes. Yep. Awesome. Awesome, awesome. Okay. So without further ado, you know, this new line of KDE Motors, this is the G3 line, uh, they're a little bit unique in the fact that before... I don't know how much I can say without getting in trouble from Patrick and Katie, but this G3 line is his, it's his baby. The designs on these motors are 100% his control. Everything about it is what he wanted to do, and he was able to pour his heart and soul into these motors and into the design. And there were quite a bit of changes. And and I think everyone needs to really be aware that going from the older 700XF motors to the newer 700XF motors, there is a lot of things that, um, you know, a lot of little things that are, are different. 
And so what I got was uh, Patrick sent us a 700 XF, 535 KV G3 motor. This is a 4530 stator motor. So this would be, you know, size-wise comparable to like a, a Scorpion 4530. Uh, Weight-wise, it's right dead on. Uh, mine came in uh, with wires, I think, before they were trimmed and about 565 grams. Uh, that's another cool thing. The wires, by the way, these are not your typical motor wires. Uh, these are a high strand count, very similar to like your ESC wire, which gives you the ability, the way that they come, they come with castle six and a half millimeter bullets on them, but they're quite long. You can trim them to the length that you want, which I love. I absolutely love this. Because I on some helis, I'll run super short motor wires. On other ones, you kind of almost need that little bit of extra length to get the connector in the spot that you know that that fits and that gives you that nice little clean installation that I like to have so much. Um, so again, coming in right about 565 grams. Uh, that that's really the big change for this motor is uh, no longer, you know, my one complaint, we had done a review on the older 700XF, and I loved everything about it except that it was heavy, you know, and, and, and it was heavy. And that is, for Nick, that's a big deal. I'm not one to to lug around extra weight on my helis. I like to keep the disc loading light. And that was something that he was able to change with this motor uh, was, to really, was to get that weight down. Um, let's see, it's a YY winding on the motor. Uh, this is, and yes, you are going to hear this right. This is an 11.1 kilowatt motor, 11,100 watts for two seconds. Maximum current, 250 amp for two seconds. Continuous current, 115 amps at 5,105 watts. Very nice. Hmm. It is a monster. The power that comes out of this motor is just ridiculous. Capable 10S all the way up to 14S with a 93% efficiency. And now you'll notice that's up a little bit from the kind of typical 91, 90 to 91% uh, that we see. And that was something that Patrick really wanted to focus on with this, with this motor was getting away from, he actually tested it with a solid strand. And then ended up going with the multi-strand for efficiency reasons down lower in the power output, which, I mean, let's be honest, the majority of the average pilots flying is, is in a range where you're really not, you're not pulling much power out of the motor. So that's going to give you a little bit more, um, a little bit more efficiency. 10-pole motor. You know, taking this thing out of the box, the first thing that I noticed was the quality is second to none. I can say, now, I have not owned, uh, like, a Pyro. I've not owned any of the other exotic motors. For all the motors that I have seen in my hands and flown myself, the quality, there is nothing that compares to it. I mean, nothing that compares. It was flawless. I took it apart, which, of course, is the first, 
right? Oh, it's brand of new. Of course. Let's take yeah, it yeah. Apart. Yeah, anyone would. And the quality that you see on the outside is mirrored on the inside. He's got a really, really cool, unique, I don't even know how to explain it. It's like a ring on the on the inside of the can down at the bottom and out towards the edge of the can that actually helps, that holds and positions the magnets. And you'll notice on a lot of motors that they're just, set in there and then kind of epoxied in place, but there's really nothing to, you know, to like additionally secure them. Well, these, this is that, those little things I was talking about where he got to do the motor exactly the way that, that KDE does stuff and kind of does that, uh, that little additional quality, those nice little finishing touches. And it just, man, it cleans up the inside of the motor so much I don't feel worried about a magnet shifting or throwing a magnet when I see this because I, I see precision, uh, even to the point where you're just, you know, you're looking at the, the winding on the motor itself and, uh, you know, like the epoxy and everything. It's just, God, it's quality. There's no slap it together, grind and scrape here to make sure that everything clears. Oh, nope, nothing's going to rub. Oh, scrape a little more off here. It's like you can tell they put it together right the first time and they put that time into it when they're making it. And I can really appreciate that um, in a motor. I just, I can't stress enough the quality out of this thing is, it's just the best that I've seen. Uh, it's clean. It's nice. I love the color. The black and silver just says sexy to me. It goes with everything. Uh, so, you know, when I was putting it in up to that point, I'm just thinking, yeah, digging it. Totally digging it. Flight-wise, now, I put this in the Blade 700X, and here's the reason why I did that. I have flown, uh, I have flown a lot of different motors in there. I've flown the E-Flight motor in there. Um, I flew a 4525, I've flown a 4526, and I've also done testing back-to-back with the 4525 and 4526 and 4530 500kV Scorpion motors, all back-to-back all -back before. So I feel like, and I've got a lot of flights on those motors, I feel like I have a good appreciation uh, for for the power output that they have and their characteristic. I'll be honest and upfront. I'm not a high RPM, a uh, high head speed kind of guy. So when it comes to top end power on a 700 class model, I'm not going to top it out. I mean, I'm okay with saying that. At 1950, you know, running, uh, usually I'm running about 13 and a half, uh, maybe 1970 on some models. I'm never going to get all of it out. I can tell you that it's... It's incredible, incredible power. Uh, I don't notice any difference on the top end. Now, in, in comparison to the E-Flight motor, oh, yeah, big difference. I mean, big difference. But, you know, top end, as far as comparing to those, quote-unquote, other motors, I don't notice anything. Where I definitely did notice it is it's on the it's on that initial pop, that initial hold that you get out of the governor, it's just got more 
torque. It's like the power is there instantaneously. And even to the point where you notice it just during quick little pop, pop and lock type stuff, um, you don't even have to go crazy on the load on it. The motor, it's like it's it's just got flat out, got more bottom end. That's the best way that I can explain it. It's got more torque. It's more instantaneous. And that was very obvious. This was also a characteristic of the original 700XF line of motors. They had more torque, period. And I solidified that this time around. Again, I had to go back and increase my pre-comp on the tail. So I know for a fact that it had more grunt to it. I really, really like that because I don't fly at crazy high head speed. So it feels like it it gives me just a little bit more uh, at that lower head speed um, than I was getting with, with other motors. You know, all the way around, I've put, oh man, quite a bit of flights on it. As far as, you know, I, I kind of want, the review was, it was on the 535. But I also have a 455 kV motor in the MD. And I, I really did kind of want to bring that into it a little bit. That is a, a different stator motor. It's a heavier motor that's back up to the... I mean, it is a true 750-800 class motor. The power that, that that thing has, which is right, you know, not that far. It's It's got more power than this one, but not, you know, not a ton. This whole new line of G3 motors and the power that they have, even just on 12S, is phenomenal. It's incredible. I was really expecting in the MD to go, yeah, wow, this is really just not cutting it. But I am blown away. I, I was not expecting to have that that level of power and that that grunt in that big and that heavy of a helicopter on a 12S system, and I, I, you know, I really attribute it to the design and, and to the torque that these motors are putting out. So, you know, to kind of wrap it up, I, I have to pick something negative because it wouldn't be a review from Nick if I didn't find something negative. <laughs> so, Patrick, here you go. Here's your one negative, dude. I want another motor. I want one that will fit the E700 in between the frames of the E700, but be comparable uh, in size and power to a 4525 class. That's my negative, which actually has nothing to do with this motor. But <laughs> 4525, Nick, or 4225? Well, I, want it, I, I don't care what number it is. How about that? I want it to fit in between the frames, but have that class of power and weight. How about that? Yep, that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. So this motor just makes me want more because it makes me it makes me say I if this is that good then for Nick personally I want that one. But you know, I just I didn't notice the weight in this. Even even in, you know, it's what I want to say about 80 70 grams, 80 grams heavier than like a 4525. Mm-hmm. I did not notice it. You know, guys, one of the best things about being in our position is the ability to give back to our listeners. And lucky for us, Gen Zace Batteries shares the same ideas. Just for you, they're offering a 10% discount code on all their batteries. 
That's right, guys. So head over to www.hobbyparts.com, enter in the code RCHN10 at checkout to get that 10% discount on your next order. Well, okay, I did, I did I, not. I got a couple of questions for you. You were run. What ESC were you running it on? Oh, this was on. You know what, dude? I'm running it on a Castle 120. Okay, and you're governing it externally. I'm running the Icon Governor. That is correct. What are your What are your timing and motor power settings and all of that in the castle? I'm running low timing. Okay. And I want to say eight, eight on the PWM. kilohertz on PWM. Yep. Okay. Yep. Eight kilohertz. Now, what about what about temperatures? When you, you when know, you really went out there and beat it up really bad, like gave it everything that you had, and you brought it back down, what are we talking about temperature wise? I go on. I'm more of a feel kind of guy. I did not go out and log. There's really no point for me to go out and log the temperatures on this because I don't have a, I never had a control to compare it to. Mm-hmm. Um, so I go on feel. I'm going to say at the same, if not slightly cooler than I was getting uh, okay. with the with the other motors. Uh, one thing I did notice which this is, man, and I, I, I told myself I wasn't even going to think about it. I was not going to think about it. But then after, you know, 25, 30 flights, it started to really kind of, I noticed that not so much on the harder flights. If I was really out just hammering on this thing, um, my flight time was the same. Okay. But mm-hmm. but I swear that if I was just practicing, which I do, I mean, on a lot of flights, I'll go out and just work on certain maneuvers, yeah. that I want to say that it is ever so slightly more efficient. I can't, I didn't go into like a full-on efficiency test. I haven't compared, you know, uh, amperage at in a hover or whatever with right. the other motor. So I can't say that for a fact. What I can say for a fact I definitely did not lose any flight time. I mean, no way, no way did I lose any flight time. So I gained a ton of power on the bottom end, more power on the top end with no reduction in flight time. That sounds like a pretty good deal to me, dude. Yeah, no, nothing negative there. Yeah, I I just don't... Uh, you know, I love the other brand of motors, dude. I, I really do. I've had great luck. I've actually had great luck with a lot of motors. But just on quality alone, Patrick is just, he stepped it up to just a whole different level. And, and I would say that if you haven't, you know, if you're coming up to where, you know, you're you're due up or you're wanting to upgrade, go check them out. You know, I'm not telling you to go buy one, but just go check them out. Go look at the ones that he's got now. You know, really, with the new G3 series, we're talking 550 on all the way up in class. I think actually even 500. I think he's got a new G3 out for the 500 class. Uh, Go check it out because I'm I'm not 100% sure on that. But the quality in these is... It, it it is better than anything you are getting for this for that price point. 
No question. I haven't owned any of these super high dollar eight hundred, you know, nine hundred dollar custom motors. I have not owned any of those, so I can't compare there. Mm-hmm. But I can tell you that you will not get any higher quality at this price point. No way. Nice. And I, I, I couldn't be any happier with it. And I am very, very glad and see no reason to switch to anything else. If he does happen to listen, because I know there have been quite a few people asking about, you know, sliding one more class in there, kind of in between that. He's got the 600 XF, which, oh, we've seen. Actually, I'm not going to say who, because he's a Scorpion pilot, (laughs) and I don't want to get him in trouble. But I have witnessed a Scorpion pilot fly a 4035, which would be the original 600-class motor, and pull it out and drop in a 600XF, which is a 600-class motor. Mm-hmm. And it was obvious to everyone. Yep. I saw that I flight. remember that. <laughs> I saw that flight, and we were all and like, I saw oh. that individual's expression after that flight. <laughs> yeah. I think there was even some four-letter words that came out of his mouth. Yeah. Yeah. So this is just, you know, if you've tried KD in the past, you've had the old motors, you're like, eh, they were a bit heavy. Check out this motor. This should be the one that you go to. I'm really digging it. Uh, again, you can check these out, www.kdedirect.com. Patrick and Leslie, not only A, thank you for supporting the show, but thanks for sending this motor over. I'm tickled, and I, uh, it's, it's one of those reviews where I'm – I'm really, really glad I got to review it, and I am going to continue to enjoy it. Nice, dude. Yeah. It's always good to have more options out there for power systems. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. So, Jesse, I think I found the one for you. The one what? The one heli that'll pull you away from flying that other brand. Oh, yeah? Seriously, man. I've got hundreds of flights on my Blade 700X, and I am blown away at how maintenance-free it is. Now, I know you're the type of pilot to put some serious flights in during the year, and I really think this will not only meet, but exceed your expectations in quality and performance. Well, I suppose I better head over to bladehelis.com and take a closer look at that 700X. All right, boys. Well, we, uh, that was a little, that that was pretty intense last week. That was awesome. Some would say. Some would, you know. Some would say. The amount of feedback that I've gotten (laughs) from listeners is just overwhelming. I think they liked it. the number one most re-downloaded episode. (laughs) Well, yeah, I've talked to a number of people who said, I've rewound it and listened to that yeah. segment multiple times just yeah, to make yep. sure I got it all. Yep. And one of the feedback, uh, one of the feedback items that I think we saw a little bit of a pattern in was, you know, we got to, we got to scratch that itch on the guys that really wanted to nerd out. And, you know, we're all nerds. Well, mine Dive is Dan. In. I don't yeah. Th- yeah. Dan doesn't fit the nerd category. Ooh. But we are. No, he doesn't. And he's okay with that. That's not a slam. Yeah. 
I he always says nerds out ever so often, but you're first. right. Yeah, but, he's getting he, better. He puts up with it and asks great questions is the important thing. Yes. Yes. That's right. So we did get to scratch that itch, and we, you know, we discussed some, you know, kind of top level stuff. Uh, but what we wanted to make sure was we wanted to make sure and, and not leave out the guys that are like, dude, all right, here's the deal. It's not going to matter how many times I listen to that. I can listen to it over and over and over again, and it's just not going to sink in, or or they're really struggling with it. So, uh, you know, we kind of sat back and talked, and it was like, well, let's... We started at the top, and we worked our way down. Now, let's let's try it from the other way, and let's start at the bottom. Yeah. Let's pretend we've got a brand new build. I mean, a brand new build. We just built a heli, and... So what we're going to do is uh, Justin work and up. Jesse and I, we're going to work from the bottom, as in first liftoff, how do we tune? And we're going to talk about the differences and the way that we tune um, and a little bit of the differences in the fly barless systems that we fly. Obviously, Justin having more experience with the Bavarian Demon. Uh, myself, I probably have the most icon experience, and Jesse has the most V-bar experience out of all of us. So hopefully we can kind of relate each of those uh, to each portion of the tune, and you can see what's similar and what's not. So, Justin. Yes. New build. Why don't you, why don't you start us? We, we we can assume we have all of our sensor directions <laughs> the correct. The rudder is not reversed. <laughs> I, I, yeah. So, right, I'm going through my <laughs> mental checklist, and I'm thinking to myself, A... Make sure your receiver battery is charged. Ah, very good, very good. B, oh, three, check your three tail most direction. Things. Yeah, and next, and check C, the sensor directions. All of and them. And C, C, make sure you make didn't sure you see your any bearings. Type. No, you have to have your swash type correct. Well, and because and then a, remember that one. Yeah, a classic one is oh, the pinch yeah, bolts yeah, on the head. Oh yeah, yeah, that was the whole yeah the the, the 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 one thirty five versus one twenty, Nick. Yeah. 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 So we've got all that. Let's start by assuming that you are at least capable of setting the heli up on the bench and wiring it correctly, and <laughs> you've checked the sensor directions, and everything is looking great. Okay? Mm-hmm. As a beginner, and, and let's start out with people who aren't just going to go up and beat the crap out of the heli on the first flight. As a beginner... You power the thing up, make sure that your directions are good again. Yes, I said again, because you can never be oh. too safe on that. And that's everyone. That's everyone. <laughs> Not just yeah. speaking yeah. everyone. <laughs> and then we're going to spool the heli up, and we're, we're what we're going to assume is also we've got default settings. Pick a fly barless system, whatever it is. Icon, V-Bar, Demon, uh, Skookum, Beastex. All of them nowadays have pretty darn solid defaults. Mm. It's not going to fly perfect. You're not going to be able to beat it up necessarily without having issues, but it's not going to fall out of the sky. So we spool it up. We lift it into a hover. First thing that I look for personally is I I put, put it at about eye level, maybe a little bit higher. It's about, say, 20, 30 feet out, depending on how comfortable you are. And I just observe the heli in a hover, okay? 
with as minimal stick input as possible. Am I getting any drift in the head? In other words, is the heli drifting to the left or drifting to the right, drifting forward, drifting backwards? Do, is my tail staying where it should be? Is that drifting to the left or to the right? And from there, I can start to think about, okay, if I see these things, what kind of tuning decisions am I going to make? Maybe you see a little, you see a little wobble or a shake on the head. You look at the skids and it's jiggling back and forth, or maybe the tails wagging back and forth. So just take, take a step back figuratively. Okay. Cause you still got to keep your hands on the <laughs> transmitter. Look at the heli and see what it's doing. See what it's telling you. If, if we've got, so this is the part here, where, let me run you through some, let me run you through some. And I will, I want to see what each of you guys would do. Cause we'll, we'll try and bring Yeah, up, That's like, what I was going to say, yeah. because yep. everyone, everyone does it differently. There may be someone that does tail tuning first and then yeah. does well, head or vice let's versa. Let's run through first. I want to touch on what are the potential first takeoff things that you're going to see most often. So Justin, you mentioned tail drift. Mm-hmm. Okay. So if your tail, let's say, let's say if your tail is drifting, nose left, tail right, nose left, what's the first, are you going to worry about it now? And and if so, what's the first thing you are going to adjust? I'm going to worry about it if it's drifting consistently and, and a lot. Okay. A little bit of a drift is no big deal. But again, you got to be confident in your heli and the worst confidence robbing thing out there is a bad tail. Yep. If you've got your tail drifting to the right or nose left, then your gain is not high enough. Your your main basic tail gain is not high enough. So you okay. you want to set it back down, increase your tail gain or if you've got the ability depending on your fly barless system, you got a bank or you've got a knob that you can twist the tail gain on do that okay so jesse now if you were to get what if you were to get a nose right tail left drift nose right that usually would indicate well if this if this is just in a hover i guess it it could indicate a little bit too high of a gain because in that case the tail gain is working Uh, too much of a nose right is countering the torque of the motor and so that would possibly mean that your gain is too high. Um, going and off the could, same trend, it could that also Justin mean that said. it could also mean you've got a vibration. Yep. Yep. One and one other got thing. a tail drift because of a vibration. That's been my. That's what I usually end up finding. Yep. If I have a a nose right tail left for me, uh, it will be accompanied with a tail fin that. Doesn't look like a tail fin anymore because you can't yep. see it because it's blurry. Or the push Jello. rod. <laughs> or the rod going back to the tail. If you, you or know, the tail some rod. Of these supports. Some of the newer, yep. some of the helis that have a carbon fiber rod with only one support. I mean, you can see that rod oscillating quite a bit. Yep. Um, yep. Definitely. So that is a major key to look for. So, okay. So we got uh, potentially an over. Now, what about, what about if we pick it up and immediately we get into a fast back and forth tail whack. I mean, this thing make it makers it makes your butthole pucker up a little bit. Like we get a nice oh, little yeah. three four inch wag going on. What a 
Well, we hit throttle hold yeah. and we land. That's yeah, what we that's do. the We're first thing. Safely that. land it. Uh, where do you go? You go down on tailgate. The main, main tailgate. The main yep. tailgate yep. first. We're not talking advanced settings. You go down on tailgate by a few percent or a few points or whatever your fly barless system wants. Mm-hmm. Lift it back up at a safe distance. If it does not seem to have changed, then chances are you're dealing with a mechanical issue. And you want to land it and you want to yep. go and look back over your mechanics. Look for binding. Look for rubbing. Look for uh, too extreme travel. Or how long is your ball to center distance on your servo horn for the tail? That sort yeah, of all thing. The, all and that this, good this stuff. Is a, this is really what I usually do now because, you know, now that I've had numerous 700 helis, you kind of get a baseline. And so if you have that baseline, it's really hard to do when, you know, if this is your first 700 class heli or first heli in general. Um, but what I always do is go ahead and snap, take the ball link off of the tail servo. And so it's just hanging mm-hmm. there and then push, you know, actuate the tail from the perspective of the tail servo and see how free it is. And after you've yeah. had that heli or if you've had a heli in that class that's worked fine, you should have a baseline. And if it's too tight, it should be clear right off the bat. Doesn't matter what you got if you got bad mechanics. Yep. Period. You can tune that thing all day and out. And okay, I'll so also we... say that most people's tail problems are bad mechanics. Our mechanics. I would say yep. 80% of the time. Yeah. Yep. If you pick it off the ground and it's wagging and you have a reasonable gain, it's not like on the wrong channel pegged out at 100, which, by the way, <laughs> I think that almost all of us have done at some point. Mm-hmm. You get that channel assignment wrong, you pick it up, and whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you pee a little bit, and yeah. Um, okay, so what if we pick it up into a hover, and we see this thing is like doing a funky jive, and we got a tail going up and down. Where do we go? Well, I would probably say it once again, this is kind of subjective because you have the tail going up and down in a loose sense, you know, like a really wobbly, you don't have much cyclic control. It's kind of just bobbling around yeah, freely. It's just sitting there doing this kind of slow up very, and down, very low nod. frequency. And then you have the other end where it's, a, you know, it's more of an assertive, um, very a higher frequency. The tail's going up and yeah. down. Um, and one, so just to clarify, a lower if it's if it's non-assertive, kind of loose feeling, that would be too low of a head gain, um, in in my experiences. And if it's over gaining or a you know a high oscillation frequency, that'd be too high of a head gain. And may, now, what if we got see, a big one? Well, here here's the before we go into what if we got a big one, Nick. This is where it starts to get subjective. Yep. With different yep. fly barless systems, okay. And, you know, you already outlined what each of us are most experienced in. And and each of those three, the Icon, the V-Bar, and the Demon, have different tendencies. Definitely. In my personal experience, when I run into, like, when we're only talking to hover, we haven't even started moving the heli around yet. Yeah. If I lift the heli up into a hover and I've got a elevator bobble, whether it's fast or lazy slow, Generally speaking, that's an indication that I've got something wrong with my mechanics. Or you have an icon on there. 
Okay, <laughs> well, and, see, was, and see, so see that, that's, would say, that's interesting. That might be well, the case. Well, let's first throw out the head speed thing. Yeah. Because I want to, that's what I was really fishing for on the first bout. So you got to, if you're new to a class of helicopter, get try and get an idea. You know, ask around, put a post up on a forum or something to get a ballpark on what people are flying. What you don't, you, you if you've never seen the low head speed bobble, it is a very exaggerated nod, uh, tail oh, up yeah. and down in a hover. And it's it's big. I mean, it really is exaggerated, but it's slow and just like, whoa, what the heck is going on? As I see it a lot when guys move up to like a 600 or a 550 from flying a 450 because the fact that you're just spooling up a 550 in front of you <laughs> is enough to scare the crap out of you. And what seems like crazy fast is just not crazy fast. Yep. It's, you know, a lot of the, the damping in these setups are designed to run higher head speed. So make sure that you are up in a head speed range that Suited. is not going to... For the yes, that is suited. So, once we get that out of the way, Justin, you're saying that in the Bavarian Demon, it's a it's usually a mechanical issue if you have an elevator bobble. Yeah, it's it's a mechanical or it's a vibration. The telltale sign on the Demon for having too high of a head gain is shaky skids, and it's usually an air an aileron type shutter. The yep, whole heli's the got a very, very, yep. very small displacement. It's not moving a lot, but if you look at it, it's shaking and shuddering. And yep. sure enough, now, you tune the head gain down, and it goes away. Main head gain. Again, we're not even yep. getting into any PID stuff yep. yet. We're yep. just going after main. Now, Jesse, uh, I mean, can you... What what do we see if we have too high of a head gain in a hover on a V bar? Does so it do that, anything? So that's what I was just going to say. My answer last time was just the text. I guess the textbooks and the textbook answer. But on a V bar in a hover, I've never actually seen the heli just sit there and shake like I have with an icon. Yeah. Um, to get you know to really realize the head gain is too high with a V bar, you've had to you know actually start moving the heli around. So you got to go. Fly. So then I would say okay. if you have that shake with a V bar. Definitely start looking right at mechanical issues. Yeah. Okay. The other no, one that you can expect to shake from is a B-Stex. Mm-hmm. Yep. If your uh, head gain's way correct. too high on a B-Stex, it will do something very similar to what I just described on the Demon, which yeah. is sort of it's a little... a shiver. A shi- yes, a shiver. That's exactly it. That's yep, it, it right is. there. Yep. It is a shiver. Yep, and there's just okay. one one more thing. I know we talked about setup, but... The CG of the heli in all of this, when we're talking about, you know, maybe a drift on the head, the CG really, really comes into play. Um, so yeah. I know we talked about making sure the fly barless system set up right, directions and throws, but make sure that your CG, that you also take the time to go through, position those batteries or receiver pack in the correct position and get that CG dead on. So then, you know, that is not even going to be an issue. Okay, so we've got the we've got the hover thing out of the way. Let's say we've gone, we had to just for hypothetical things, okay, we you know, uh Justin, you had a, a shake and you went down, that one went away. Uh we should mention that what if you pick it up and uh, the I like to describe or for me on the icon and actually most of the fly barless systems that I've flown, when it gets 
too low. When you have the head gain drastically too low, for me, I like to describe it as, you know those little circus tricks where they put like a plate? They try and balance a plate up on a stick mm-hmm. that you're holding in your hand? That's what it feels like. Or if you were to put my ass on a like a, a yoga ball and try and balance on it... <laughs> <laughs> That's what it feels like. It feels like you are chasing the heli. Like it just does not want to stay stable. It's just this constant kind of whoa, whoa. I whoa. call like it. You're, I call it jello. It feels. It feels jelloy. It. It's just yeah. kind of everywhere. It's not. Mm-hmm. It's not so everywhere where you're in danger of losing it. But you can feel it in your. You can feel it in your thumbs. You can feel it in your control. It's just. It's sloppy. That's the best way to describe it. It feels sloppy. Jesse, what's what was what's your t- yeah? Your, well, my yeah, you give us a terminology. I guess my my main complaint with that description would be for the new guy. That's that's just not going to register. That's not going to cut it. You know that they they don't have a a baseline. So one one thing yeah. that I that I've found that you can do. Um, and this does seem to hold on the V-bar, um, not a little bit on the icon, but you still have your D-gain on the icon, is you can give kind of a quick input and release, you know, a quick jab and then let the let the um, stick on the transmitter recenter itself and see yep. if that heli keeps oscillating or bobbling. Um, and if it kind of, you know, if it takes a little bit to settle and it's kind of a nice low frequency oscillation, that's usually another sign that the head gain is too low, and that's also that jello feeling. Um, but that's a visual yeah. feedback that you can see that you don't nece- necessarily have to have that developed feel for the heli. And that's kind of my that that's my my thirty foot test. So that's what I call my thirty foot test. My like Justin had said, where you know you pick the heli up off the ground. For me, I I personally I try and keep a little bit below eye level. I like to only get about two, three feet off the ground so that if I see anything drastic, I can get throttle hold and hopefully set it back down quickly. But once I've got past the hover part and I feel, eh, okay, everything, I don't see anything bad, no vibration, everything's good, then I'll go ahead and I'll bring it up to about, you know, 20, 30 feet. And Jesse, what you just described there, absolutely. That's going to be my first thing that I do is I'm going to do a kind of a quick little cyclic jab yep. in each direction to you know just get an idea if it feels really donkey <laughs> and like it's just falling all over the place I'm not even going to waste my time with anything else I'll go ahead and bring it back down yep. uh and adjust it's it not as far as the good. head goes just as far as the head yep. goes I'm looking for you know but then again I've also had it where I've had the head gain too high. I mean, really too high. Not to the point where it shook and hover, but when I went up there and gave a little elevator jab, dude, it was like, whoa, 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 yep. whoa, whoa, whoa. I mean, the other me one. Some, yeah, that's where you have to yeah, some just kind of realize fast. if is it, is it that fast, aggressive oscillation or is it the, you know, looser, lower. The slow, crappy one. Yep. Yeah. Now, Justin, what's your, what's your first high hover cyclic test? I'm a jabber as well. I do yeah. the same exact thing. That's that's the easiest way to check it. The, you know, for and again, it comes back to experience. For me, I very rarely set a heli up with too little head gain. 
More yeah. often mm-hmm. than not, it's perfectly fine for the first flight, and it may even be a little too high, especially if it's like a different size. You know, going up to the 800, that threw, threw a wrench in things a little bit in terms of the absolute value of the numbers. But I, I do the same exact thing. I go up, I give it a little bit of a punch, forward elevator, a little bit back, forward, back, check it there, and then I do it on aileron as well. And I see how it reacts. And if if the head gain's too high, then even if it wasn't, like you said, Nick, even if it wasn't shaking just in a hover, with that little bit of input, if it starts shuddering or shimmying or whatever after the input, then you know you've got a high head gain. And, you know, the other thing I want to address for the beginners, because those sorts of situations can really freak you out if you get into the dreaded wag of death on the tail or the shimmy uh, on aileron or elevator on the head. The best way to get out of that, and I'm not saying you should try to fight it and not land it, but to just immediately stop it is give an input, give another stick input very smoothly and very slowly in the opposite direction. And you say, well, it's shaking itself to death. How do I know what the opposite direction is? It doesn't make a difference. Just don't jab it. Don't stab at it. Mm-hmm. You just yep. give it a little bit of left failure on smooth. That's right. Slight yep. input and you'll knock yeah. it out of its little shimmy. So, yeah, I, I, yeah. I'm a jabber. OK, so let's let's say we don't see anything. Uh, we don't see anything bad. Right. I mean, OK, maybe it's got a little teeny bit of an elevator bobble, but you've got nothing on aileron. Mm-hmm. That seems crisp. Um, then. uh for me personally, now I'm going to switch over quickly, all within the same flight, of course, to checking the tail, getting the ballpark idea on the tail. Um, for me, I'm going to do a, a quick little right rudder and a quick little left rudder jab just to get an idea how it stops. Hopefully it doesn't coast another foot <laughs> before it stops. And, uh, you know, if it seems to react okay, I will go ahead and do just kind of a short, quick punch out to make sure that it's not swinging way out. If it swings way out, tail right, nose left, I've got to increase my gain. Now, mm-hmm. again, on the icon, I have my tail gain set up on a um, in the gyro menu, and I do have a dial adjustment, fine-tune adjustment up at the top, set to a one-to-one ratio. So I go ahead and whoop, crank that tail gain up, do it again, do it again until, um, you know, until I see that it's acceptable. Uh, just, uh, Justin, what's your, what's your, what's your routine that you do? So I actually do it a little bit different on the tail. What I like to do once I'm, I've convinced myself that everything's safe and it's not going to just flip out. I like to do some full throw pyros in both directions. And what I'm looking for is I want to see, and and of course, you know, again, if you're a beginner, you may not be comfortable with that. Nevertheless, I do full throw pyros in both directions. And what I'm looking for is, do I hear any buzzes? Is my tail rotating around smoothly or is it jittery? Is it whippy? That sort of a thing. That gives me a feel for that's one that's one thing I look for in terms of where my gain is at. Okay, because if I'm whippy, then I and and this is advanced tuning, but we'll get there. If it's whippy, 
then that might mean that my eye gain is too high. So when I then go and do the punch out or the pitch pump test that Nick just talked about, I look for the same thing. How does it, how does it move out? Does it kick to the right? That means my total gain is too low. I've got to go up. But when I look for whippiness, I can then determine what my next step is from there. I also check the stops by what I call uh, dropping the stick. And that is I'm doing full left rudder, let's say, or half left rudder, whatever you're comfortable with in, in terms of speed. And I wait until it gets back around to about tail in and I let go of the of the rudder control and let it pop back to center. And I see, you know, how does it respond? Does it drift? Does it buzz and shake? That sort of a thing. And that allows me to make a decision then, how do I want to adjust my stops? Okay, Jesse. I'm, I kind of take the approach, I jump into the, I, I do a quick, I wouldn't say a full punch out, maybe just some quick little jabs on the collective uh, in one or two pyros, and then I go straight into my full-on hard maneuver for tuning the tail. Basically, okay. once I'm sure this, you know, once I can confidently say this thing isn't going to let, you know, completely let go on me, even if it's a little bit loose, if it's not going to completely let go on me, which if you follow the kind of starting settings that most of the flywireless systems have, you're you're not running a huge risk of the tail just completely letting go, you know, spinning around yeah. freely and it's, it's gone. Um, so as soon as I, I kind of determine that, yes, I have good tail control, the gain seems you know, it seems reasonable. Maybe it's a little loose. I'll go straight into my, um, you know, a big loop using right aileron, um, which I know we've discussed before, but that seems to be one of the hardest maneuvers on the tail. And so I'll, I'll jump right into that. The, the first couple might be, you know, it, it's, it may be a little bit loose. It may not hold heading perfectly. Um, but really, that gives me a chance to work from the low gain. I usually set my gain a little bit um, on the lower conservative side to start, and it just gives me that chance to work right up um, to the optimal gain, the op main gain, that is. Mm -hmm. See, nice. So you just go right into it. And and I would say that after I feel comfortable, I don't worry about my stops. I don't worry yeah, about any whipping. Nope. I don't worry about any of that myself. Does it hold? I, I, yeah, <laughs> Is it going to hold enough? Good enough. Yeah. Um, then I'll go ahead and go. I, I have to agree. I'll, I'll, I will do a full-on punch out at that point. Uh, and again, I'm watching for, for me on the main gain, I'm watching for how, how quickly is the tail coming back to straight. Yeah. I expect it to kick. Um, again, because I, I start with my pre-comps quite low on the tail, yep. way lower than you would even think. Um, that's a That's a kind of a, also kind of a common mistake and something that I've, I've got a little bit of a bone to pick with a lot of the fly barless systems and that I think they default them too high mm -hmm. a lot of the time. So I turn them way, way down. And I mean, yeah, big deal if the tail kicks out two, three inches, as long as it comes back quickly yeah. for tuning purposes. I mean, I'm not talking in the very end, but for initial tuning purposes, I want to see that kick because I want to see how quickly it comes back. Once I get it to the point where the tail returns to heading quickly, then I'm going to go out and do that hard right aileron roll, keep going up with the gain, keep going up with the gain, 
until I feel that it, you know, that it starts to wag or, you know, whatever that fly barless system does, they do seem to all be a little bit different. Once I get that, then I pretty much go out and for the icon, this one can be a little tricky. And this one has caught me numerous times and it really depends on the helicopter. I can't stress that enough. The blade reacts completely different than the Raptor, than the MD, than the seven, you know, than the DFC did. But uh, this is a new one to add to my tail tuning that makes no sense. But I will go and do a tail stand and a full negative punch out, almost like horizontal. Mm -hmm. And for some odd reason with the icon, that really pisses it off. Hmm. And you get into that full negative kind of tail forward, you know, you're you're hauling ass across the sky tail stand. And once you really load it and load it and let everything load, you will find that you might have a pretty fierce wag <laughs> right at the end of that. And that's a good indication that, uh, again, in the icon, because the icon only adjusts the P gain on the tail on the tail gain adjustment, which is still really weird and don't ask why because I have no explanation for it, <laughs> that you've got it a little bit too high. And and that's kind of my, I'll back that one down, and I get to the point where I can do that tail stand, pull out of the pitch really quickly, and level the heli back out, and I don't get any fast oscillation or fast wag. Um, and that kind of, once I get that good, I've got my punch out good. That opens up the whole envelope of now I'm ready to PID tune the tail yep. and, you know, PID tune the head if needed. So I want to I want to return to a couple of things here, because, again, I, I, I want to make sure that the beginners feel like they're getting tricks that they can use that they're comfortable with. And and mm-hmm. I happen to use the same thing that you and Jesse do ultimately on on the tail tuning, which is the full collective right rudder loop, the the sideways loop. Right aileron. Right, 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 yeah, right, 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 right aileron, yes, right aileron. Yep. But that is not a comfortable maneuver to do <laughs> if if no. you're not no. familiar with doing aileron loops to begin with. And even if you are it takes a little bit of paying attention to to keep everything square and in one place. So it mm-hmm. is not something that I would ever recommend a beginner going out and trying to do because <laughs> no. you're gonna Here drive go. the thing in. <laughs> and and if you can't and and here's the other reason that I want to make this warning: it puts a hell of a lot of stress on the heli and the fly barless system, and that's why we do it to check the tail. But if you've ever done one, and I know you guys both know what I'm talking about, and you're so unlucky to have been way off on your tail settings, <laughs> it can get scary oh, fast. Yeah, yeah you'll, you'll yep. blot the tail 90 degrees. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I would rather have too high of a tail gain in a right aileron loop than too low, and specifically on eye gain, because if that thing blows out, man... It's it's creepy. Or if it just drifts. I mean, I've seen it yep. where it'll drift 45 degrees. And yeah. before you know it, the thing's coming back at you if you're not paying attention. It's so awesome. You it's gotta, fun because it still makes me pucker up a little. Oh, it, yeah. yeah. 
if if you're a beginner, guys, you start out with a little bit of a collective jab, like Jesse was talking about, and then move on mm-hmm. to full collective punch outs. And that's where you're going to be able to see it again. We want we got we got to make sure you guys understand you need to tune to your skill level. Yep, that's right. There is and no way change. that if you're not capable of doing a right aileron loop with full collective, that you're going to be able to push that tail to the point where you could even get close to the gain that you need to tune for that. So use your no. punch outs and and go tune it. If you can only do forward flight, go do the the fastest forward, biggest flight that you feel comfortable doing, and you might find a little bit of a wag there. Maybe when you come up, yep. you do a big power loop. You're like, oh, I could do a power loop. You do a big fast forward flight power loop, and all of a sudden you get a big, you know, pretty quick tail wag. At the end, you're like, whoa, you back off everything, let it settle. Well, guess what? Your gain's a little bit high. Now, you might fly it like that for three months, and everything's perfectly happy. And now, all of a sudden, you go to start working on funnels. And the first funnel that you drop into real good, and you get that thing booking around a funnel, it starts wagging. Don't flip out. Don't say, oh, my gosh, something's wrong with the helicopter. Everything's been fine. You just reached a new you level. Got better. of low. Yeah, you got better. You reached a new level and found a new maneuver that loads the tail harder, and your tuning is going to have to progress yes. with you. Yep. So, you know, that's, but that's tough because don't let yourself get caught in a wicked, I need to tune cycle, you know, to tune every, you got to fly at some point. But, um, yeah, don't, don't be surprised if, you know, well, why did I have to not have to tune last year? And now this year, I feel like I'm tuning everything. Well, it's because you simmed all winter, and now you're tossing the heli around more. Yep. And, uh, yeah. yeah. And, you know, as a beginner, I, I really think, and when I say beginner, I mean sport pilot or, you know, just learning how to hover and move the heli around. The most important skill in tuning really is to get the tail to where you want it. Okay? Yeah. The head, you know, the the head is, it really is a different animal in a lot of ways. It You can fly an untuned head and not lose confidence the way you will if you fly an untuned or a poorly tuned yep. tail. So yep. you, you need to focus on getting that thing up there, making sure it's in one piece. And once you're there and it's it's hovering and you're confident it's mechanically set, Get that tail so that in a in a full collective punch out, it's not doing anything crazy. Tune your gain accordingly, and then go fly, and you can mess with the head afterwards. Agreed. Yep. So, eye gain. What are the most common reasons that you are going to go to eye gain to tune? How about that? The most common reasons that I see. Well, I, I'm I'm going to give I'm going to give three. Okay, one is. In a hover, I've got a slow, lazy wag. Okay, it's hunting, as we call it. Think back to last episode, 133, we talked the PID theory. It's hunting. So my eye gain in that case is typically too high, or its proportion with respect to, to the P gain is off. It's wrong. Too much eye gain, not enough P gain to bring it back into into regulation. Mm-hmm. Number two, 
The next biggest one is in a punch out or a hard collective move, my tail is kicking out or drifting out and it's not ever quite coming back to the original set point. If we're just talking tail in, okay, that's that's a low eye gain situation. And then the third one is fast forward flight or yeah, well, fast forward flight's the easiest way to see it. If you start doing pirouettes in fast forward flight, if the if the as the tail is rotating around in the pirouette, if it's getting whippy, in other words, it kind of looks like it's it's going smooth around the backside and then it slows down around the front side and it whips back around really quick. That's usually an eye gain too high. Those are the three that I look for in my fly for eye gain. Yeah, and I would okay. I would say that those those are pretty much yeah exactly the same three things I look for. I just want to make one connection um, between last week's show and this week. Last week we threw out the steady state air variable, and exactly like what Justin was saying versus you know the hunting, it's not coming back to the original position. So any time that no matter how how long of you know no matter how long you wait for the tail to try to settle down if it, it does not reach the original position that's going to be you're looking at your eye gain in that in that case yep that is and it and so that's just it. a quick you know steady state air is your eye gain and think about the tail never settles down and it never reaches that position no matter how long you wait it's just it just stays like that it does not want to settle down and achieve that nice solid position mhm mhm so what with V-bar, what are the, the symptoms that you would see, you know, your more common stuff? Again, I know there's some weird ones, but the yeah, more common so, stuff you would, you would go to eye gain for. Yeah, it's, it's, it really is the exact same as what Justin said. You're going to look for that slow wag, whether that's in um, a hover or in other maneuvers um, such as, you know, hard collective maneuvers such as TikToks, um, anything like that where you're getting that slow, that slow wag that, it probably will not be audible. You probably won't be able to hear it um, because it is such a low frequency. And then the same thing is on the punch outs. Um, the, the tail will kick out and won't return to that set position. Now you kind of have to be careful a little bit. And this is with all the fly barless systems. And I don't know if we want to make this connection right now or not, but the eye gain and the pre-comp are kind of inversely proportional. And so yeah, and some it, it could like V bar is tricky V bar. And that's why I kind of brought it up because V bar, you really have to watch out. Um, it, it can be tough. You know, if let's say the tail does kick out in a punch out, what do you kind of look for first? It's, I, I guess it's, it really is kind of guess and check maybe a little bit. You can use other symptoms such as the slow wag and a hover or the slow wag and forward flight mm-hmm. or TikToks. And if that's there, it's definitely an eye gain thing. But if it's only I'm, there in so, a punch out, I would probably tend to look towards the pre-comp setting a little bit more. I'm a big believer in go through the whole entire tail tuning. Make the tail as best as you possibly can with the pre-comps low. Mm-hmm. Then go and add in your pre-comps to take out that last little bit of initial kick. But, you know, V-bar from what I've flown is... It, it's actually it's a lot a more dependent act. on pre-comp. 
than a lot of others. Yeah. The pre-comp I mean, some systems, I gain dependency in VBAR, in my opinion, makes it probably one of the most challenging tales to tune yep. to the to the 99 or 100 percent level. I mean, That's you can correct. with a few flights, you can go and get it to 80, 90 percent. But that last 10 or 20 percent, man, oh, my God, it, you can literally chase your tail. And it's no it's intended. rough. I mean, I, I'm with you, Nick. I, I happen to benefit on the demon from the fact that I can turn pre-comp off completely. And that's actually their default. So when you start a new model on demon, you start with zero pre-comp. So it's deactivated. And more often than not, I find that for my flying, at least, I very rarely have to turn pre-comp on. And when hmm. I do, it may be one point, one click on the slider. Yeah, but I, I prefer up. to tune the whole thing first, as good as I can get it, without any pre-comp. Yeah. For me, uh, on the icon, I gain, uh, again, uh, too high. It'll do the, the slow, lazy, methodical wag in a hover. And you can get into whipping situations if your eye gain is off on the tail. Uh, I haven't had to adjust it a lot. How about that? I don't feel that it is. It's it not is the years. old beast X. It's not the old beast X. Um, you know, and, and you don't have to go after it as much as you would with like V bar, you know, V bar. You're definitely going to be in there a little bit more oh, yeah. um, than I've seen with the icon and the eye gain. Uh, as far as pre comp goes, uh, the default is, I do believe, 20 if you turn it on in the icon. Uh, I'll be honest, I tune down at 5. I turn it down to 5, and I turn the cyclic pre-comp down to 2, and I do all of my tuning there. And only when I'm, I mean, all the way done, including, and I guess we should have thrown this in here, including governor tuning. Yep. Because that gets super tricky with tail tuning as well super tricky but that's well everything we've been talking about assumes that your governor is either not misbehaving or is at a sufficiently low gain setting to the point where it's not really going to interact with the tail but the number yes. one rule for me is unless you know that governor well and you know its defaults or where to put it to be insensitive then you should turn the governor off to tune your tail yeah, yeah, I just want to throw just, one one quick thing in here is so with that, you know, having maiden, I, I literally just went through this from, you know, a brand new helicopter up to ninety-five percent tuned last weekend with a nitro. And for me personally, that does change things a little bit because this governor tuning is actually very crucial. So what I found myself doing with the N7 and what I've done in the past with Nitro specifically is I'll go ahead and, you know, pick the heli up in that first hover, do exactly like we said, check the tail really quick, ballpark it. Check the head really quick, ballpark it. Then I'll go straight into motor tuning and governor tuning. Because on a nitro, yep. when that heads, you know, if, if your motor isn't tuned correctly or if your governor isn't tuned correctly, you're going to get a quite a significant drop in head speed. And yes. good luck tuning mm -hmm. the head or tail when you have that big of a drop oh, in head speed. Oh, the head just turns to crap. I mean, it, it's literally impossible. So you got to get it to the point where you can fly it. Um, you can do the maneuvers that you're comfortable with. 
And you have to get it, you know, at least on a nitro, you have to get that governor and the motor tuning close. Um, it doesn't have to be dead on putting out max power, but it has to be in the ballpark where you're not losing a ton of head speed. And mm-hmm. then from yeah. there, then I'll go into what we're talking about now into the more advanced tail and head tuning. Nice. Okay. So what about, um, what about the D gain on the tail, Justin? The D gain is something that I tend not to play with a lot on the tail. Quite frankly, in my experience, I can get the system to react quick enough with a good combination of the main gain tuning initially and then with some P gain. But the D gain is one of those things, again, as we talked about it last week in in the theory section of the discussion, D gain is there to reduce the settling time. All right. Which means increase it basically increases the the rate at which your tail or your head gets back to the set point that you're looking for. And so oscillating it, it stops oscillating. That's correct. And so it's it's tricky to it's tricky to look at the heli if you haven't seen it a lot and say, I need more D gain. The way that I look at it is I actually do, I like I said before, I do a punch out or I do a little bit of poppiness like uh, some pitch pumps, little jabs on collective. And what you want to look for is, uh, so a situation where your D gain is okay, let's start with the baseline, your D gain's okay and maybe your P gain is too low. And mm-hmm. what's going to happen is... As you jab the collective, that tail is going to pop out tail right, nose left, right? Because it doesn't have enough P gain. It doesn't have enough total gain. When the P gain's too low, it's going to pop out like that. And then it's going to slowly come back to uh, set point to to, to tail in. Um, But it's likely not going to overshoot to the other side. If you're in a situation where your D gain is too low or needs to be tuned, then it will do that very same thing, but you're going to actually have a little bit of a wobble on the tail as it's swinging out. So it's going to swing, it's going to it's going to shake a little bit as it's swinging, and then when it gets back to tail in, it will overshoot a little bit. And what you're seeing there is it's taking the tail longer than you'd like to get back to tail in. That's a situation where you want to increase the D gain. And what that D gain is going to do is it's going to be more aggressive in centering it back to tail in. But the thing with this one is, is that D gain is usually, usually extremely sensitive in the fly barless systems that I've flown that give you the option to touch D gain. It's sensitive. It's not something like where on P or I, you might be able to go, you know, increase it by 20% before you start to see a significant change. When I'm doing D gain tuning, I'm doing a couple of clicks here and there. And and the D gain on the tail more often than not is like the last 5% of the tune. Yeah. See, for me, um, on the icon D gain, uh, I always refer to the D gain as the stop gain when you let go of the rudder. For me, it's how the tail reacts when you let go. Um, on the icon, 
the way that they have you tune it is uh, like a full left pyro. And you would do that and let go and see. If you get a coast, which would mean I let go of the stick and the tail does not stop, it slides to a stop. Kind of overshoots where I want it to and slowly slides. Then your D gain is too low. If you let go of the stick and you get a bounce back, a sharp bounce back, or a sharp whoop whoop on the tail, you can hear it audibly. Your D gain's a little bit too high. Once you get that set for the left pyro, on the icon they have a parameter called tail asymmetry. And the and then you go in and you adjust that tail asymmetry until um they you bring the right rudder stop back in line with the way the left rudder is. So if you you know you get your left rudder completely tuned the way you like it, and then you go do a full right rudder pyro and it barks at the end, then you would take that tail asymmetry slider and just begin to move it and you know, mm-hmm. until you can get it down where it's like, oh, oh now, okay, there we go. Now it's getting closer, closer, boom. Now they're dead even. Um, left and right in the way that they stop. That's how I adjust mine. Once I do that, that's all I do to adjust it. Yeah, so... And go ahead, Jesse. Okay, so for the V-bar, to adjust the stop gains, you just go into the advanced menu and click this little button called the optimizer. (laughs) 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 And then you just go up there and you do a bunch of right pyros and a bunch of left pyros. You land the heli, come down, transfer the optimizer numbers over into the actual stop gains and you're usually good to go simple as that guys dude that when i can tell you from just going through that on the md like for a you know for a first in a long time it works freaking i have i've always sometimes i find it to be a little bit high i might have to drop it down five points or so and unlike what justin said i've found the stop gains on the v bar to not be quite as uh, sensitive. I found you can make uh, three to five point changes pretty, and not have a. You're not going to overgain the tail by making a three to five point change. In in my experience, um, they're not quite yeah, as sensitive. Icon, I would say the same thing as well. Five, ten point. Yeah, to, to get it close. So bad. I I usually will go ahead and do the optimizer, put those values in, go fly it. If they're a little high, drop it down at the max five points, and they're usually good right there. Yeah, I think I in this case again the D gain is not I don't believe it's as universally applied across fly barless no, systems no. as the others are. And I think the reason why you guys have maybe a different experience is that from what I from what I've seen, I think most fly barless systems apply D gain and what's called a filter term. You know, all in one all in one slider or one adjustment because they do go hand in hand. If you look on the Bavarian demon, it actually gives you an option to tune D gain and filter. So for example, on the head, you know, we can talk about uh, an elevator wobble or an elevator stop that has the same sort of characteristics as what you were just describing on the tail there, Nick. And to get that tuned perfectly, you're adjusting D gain and you're adjusting what's called an elevator filter. And they, again, they go hand in hand, they do different things, but ultimately they act to crispen up the crisp up the stops, but without oscillations. 
And I think on V-Bar and Icon, you you probably have a combination of those two because you don't get multiple parameters to tune for that particular no. characteristic in those fly barless systems. No. Yeah. So, okay, let's say we've got we've got the tail to the point where we're happy with it. Uh, we, we've got all of our gain set, um, you know, we're flying. We feel completely comfortable with the tail. And we might be, you know, making small fine adjustments over the next 20, 30 flights, maybe just a point or two here and there, whatever. But now it's time to go over and tune the head. This is where it gets a little bit tricky because there's this thing uh, that comes into it that we generally don't talk about with the tail, but we talk about it with the head a lot, which is feel. Oh, feel. feel. We could have an entire show a, just on feel. Feel is talk not a setting. Talk about our feelings, guys. Yes, talk <laughs> about our feelings, or my feeling. My feeling. In um, my shtick. No. <laughs> <laughs> the feeling not on the Not in your shtick. On the sticks. No. On the on sticks. The stick. That's right. This, you know, this is one where there's, I guess let's talk about the obvious negative symptoms on the top end and on the bottom end in in flight, you know, we talked about a little bit in hover, but let's let's deal with the way too high, way too low, and then we'll just try and relate our personal opinions on some of the other settings in our corresponding fly barless systems for feel. How about that? Mm-hmm. So Justin, give me a give me an in flight head gain too high, main head gain too high. And then give me, you know, main head gain too low. Just, you know, maybe if you're if the eye gain's off a little bit or if the D gain's off, tell me what you think. Head gain too high is, I think, probably one of the easiest ones for me personally. Because we talk, again, we talk about feel. And when we talk about feel, it's very subjective. But we like to talk about flow versus rigid, right? And I like a flowy helicopter. Some might call that a loose helicopter on the head. When your head gain, your main head gain is too high, you have a very rigid, very boxy feeling helicopter. It doesn't always feel, and here we go, we're going to use the infamous terminology. When it's super rigid like that on the head gain, it does not always feel very connected, okay? It feels uh, it feels very robotic, okay? And the, the tendencies, the negative tendencies that you can see other than just that feel is that in stops, you can get shutters or wiggles or shimmies. Um, when you're doing a, a really easy way to check it other than doing a jab is do some flips, do a back flip, do a forward flip, get things going. And then when you come back around to upright, tail in, let go of your cyclic and bring your collective back to center stick and uh, and see what the helicopter does. And if your gain's too high, some helis will actually, it, it's almost like they're nodding their head yes. And you can actually hear the heli go woo, 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 as it slows back down. Um, if the gain is too low, on the other hand, in that same maneuver, you're going to get the heli coasting. 
it's going to feel like it's got momentum, like it doesn't want it or inertia. It's not it doesn't want to stop. It's going to keep sort of rotating around to a stop and probably not in the position that you wanted it to be, which is the bad perfectly part level. of fly bar. Yep. The bad part of fly bar. Right. Yeah. On the other hand, extremely too low. You're also going to get a very. You know, fluid is not the right word. It feels, again, we'll go back to these emotional terms, squishy or jello-y or loose, okay? You're telling it, I want you to do this. I want you to fly straight, and then I want you to do a loop. And when you do that, the heli's head, the, the disc, doesn't want to stay planted in that orientation that you're telling it. And so it it the the heli goes all over the damn place. Now, okay. within what the, about if you're if, yeah, have you ever had to mess with like uh, I mean, does the Bavarian demon have you ever ran into like I'm um, trying to think of some more common complaint uh, pitching up in high speed flight bobbles? You know, pitching, an elevator yeah, bobble. So that's that's pitching up. Let's do pitching up first. So there, there are two things that I look for in high speed flight, and I look for them even more now that I'm a speed geek. Uh, one is pitching up, which means I put the heli into a straight, straight as an arrow pass across the sky in high speed flight, and instead of it staying straight, it wants to start to balloon. Some people call it okay, pitch up or balloon where the nose raises and the heli starting. It looks like it's going up a ramp, that sort of a thing. There are now again, you guys are going to have to talk to V bar and icon for the specific parameters, but there are parameters in the Bavarian demon, uh, in particular attitude hold that you can tune that allows you to keep that pitch up under control. The other one is what you might have heard uh, referred to as porpoising or dolphin, a dolphin look. And what you do there is you're going forward in, in fast forward flight and you give little tiny collective changes. OK, I'm not talking about pitch pumps in fast forward flight, but you give a little bit of a collective change. If if the helicopter's tuned correctly, then what you're going to see is that the helicopter raises vertically up with the up collective and stays level, horizontal, and then vertically back down to the original position. If you don't have it tuned correctly, then the porpoising happens. And what that is, is as you're pitch pumping it, the nose is kind of going up like it's jumping out of the water. And then the nose is coming back down on the down side and going back into the water like a dolphin does. And so and there's a there's actually a decay setting on the rigid tab of the Bavarian demon menu for the head that allows you to tune that out. Nice. Okay, Jesse. So I've noticed um, with the V bar in respects to the uh, pitching up. I've actually not really notice that as a negative symptom of uh, head gain being too low. Um, so, I mean, you guys may have, and I would say that does mean the head gain is too low, but that isn't something that personally I've experienced um, with the V-bar. No, that's okay. 
That's good to know. I mean, if, if there's just some problems that certain fly bar systems and, just don't and have. And part period. of this could be is, I mean, when it comes to the V-bar, the head is not extremely tunable. You have a main head gain slider. You have a style slider, which is like Justin was descri- describing, will give you that feel, whether you want that robotic or that flowy feel. And then you have paddle sim, which can also add to um, basically the higher the paddle sim, the more response you're going to get right off center stick, that fly bar feel, paddle sim. And so what I usually do to check the head gain is um, pirouetting while doing pitch pumps. Um, so, you know, bring the heli way up, full collective, uh, then pirou on the way down, full, full negative, and then quickly go back to full positive and see, does the heli go off at an angle? Does it go straight up and down? Um, how well is that holding? And then my check is TikToks, just, you know, very, pretty. I would say fairly aggressive um, elevator TikToks and looking for, it It really is kind of the same characteristics as what we were describing in a hover. Is it a hover and a jab? Is it a loose? Does it oscillate at a low frequency or is it oscillating at a high frequency? Um, because I've found that depending on that, if it's a low frequency, you're going to want to raise your head gain. And if it's a high frequency, you're going to want to drop your head gain just a little bit. So you really have to kind of take the big picture into account when you're tuning the head gain because you really you only have one slider. Um, so you want to take into account multiple different things to adjust that one slider up or down. And so, Yeah, I noticed with V-Bar that it was make all of the negative symptoms can all go away, really? Yeah. With like actual negative symptoms. Again, not so much feel, but the negative yeah. symptoms. Yep. You could almost all go away with the main head game. Yeah, exactly. And then go into tune the field. Yep. So, yeah, I found, and that and that's how I, I kind of approach it. I generally, just for a baseline, um, what I start out as is about 75 on the style slider, 75 to 80. And then from there on, I, I don't get into so much of the feel. I'm, like Nick said, just looking at negative tendencies. I will focus in on that and try to get all those bobbles out. And then I found that the style slider, it, it's not going to really affect those bobbles. So once you got those tuned out with the main gain, you can go ahead and adjust the feel um, to your liking. So you don't have to go, oh, I want the heli to feel a little bit more tighter, locked in on the collective. I need to go up on the main gain. Um, just tune the main gain so there's no bobbles and no negative symptoms and tune all that other stuff with the style slider and paddle sim. Yeah. Yeah, and that's pretty nice because they don't give you the opportunity to go into advanced tuning as compared to other fly barless systems on the V-bar. Yeah, they they really have worked it out in such a way where it's pretty much separate. And I would say in all of the others, though, that's not the case. And I would say so you really that is not I would not consider that a negative because I have found that it actually it does work. Um, you oh, can't, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, I'm, I'm not saying it's a negative. No. I'm just saying that people who don't fly V-bar don't look for a magic slider that nope. says your heli will feel this way. You've got to learn how to tune it with the regular gains. You know, the only downfall I see to that, though, and I think that that's where it's like they did such an incredible job with just tuning so much on that main slider you know that i i think they've kind of left out 
Like, you know, the now that the vortex is out and, you know, it's been compared, I noticed it for me with the icon. It, it was very easy for me to make the icon much more responsive um, off of center than the V-bar is, even at some of its more extremes. And, and I've heard that from other people as well. That's not a bad thing. That's just a personal thing. Uh so I think that's kind of the downfall of it is I almost feel like if you could get into some stuff, you could tweak it to make it a little bit more aggressive, you know, maybe put a little bit more feed forward on the head or or uh, something like that. But yeah, but in a, you know, I, I guess to kind of rebuttal that the the icon I've I tuned the icon, the, the you know, the exact same way in in respect to I go through and I tune the P.I. So the P.I. and D gain on the icon basically is all accounted for in that main slider on the V bar. Now in the, in the yes. icon you have a feed forward gain and you have an agility slider. Now your agility slider, if you read the description is literally the ex- almost the exact same description as the style slider on the V bar. Yep. And the it is. paddle sim is almost the exact same description as the feed forward gain on the icon as well. Yeah, but see it's weird with the icon. I very rarely do I have to go into the feed forward. I'm almost always able to get it get the feel that I want with the agility slider cuz it's very hmm. it's very responsive. I mean like whereas with the V bar and the style, you got to move that thing a lot yeah. to really get it yeah. to feel. I always I guess and I guess that's just different experiences. I've always found myself tuning the feed forward gain in the icon in every single one I've had. Really? Yeah. Yeah, see, that's... And again, this is where we get into that tricky thing where once the negative symptoms are feel. gone, it is all personal And it's feeling. not just all personal. It's also all specific to your fly barless system. Yep. Oh, because, dude. Because, you know, I mean, I mean, on the Bavarian Demon, you got an agility slider, which does the same thing in terms of total max throw rates, but I've also got something called initial response which gives me the ability to fine tune the feeling of the of control right off center on all of the sticks. Well, and it's a little bit and, confusing cuz in the icon the agility slider is not your max throws. It's the flowy feeling. No. It's the robotic oh, versus okay. flow. Well, there you go. So there you go. That's yeah. the agility so then, slider. So they're not even using the terminology universally. Nope. No. So you got to be careful. Read the descriptions. Because on V-Bar, the agility slider is what is my max flip flip and roll roll rates. Yes. Yep. Yeah. See, if I could take, like, if I could take the ability, I mean, now that we've kind of, you know, we're getting into that feel thing. Dude, if I could take the main head gain slider of Mm V-Bar and combine it. With the icons feel that the agility slider has, dude, you would have like the world's greatest fly bar system because I love how I can get the icon to flow with that agility slider. I mean, I just love it. It gets to the point where it's so fluid, but yet the V-bar has that just incredible locked-in feeling on the stops on the cyclic. I mean, it just boom, boom. Boom, where you stop the heli, it stops right there, dead on. Mm-hmm. And to get that out of the icon, I found I've got to do a lot more tuning yeah. on the head. I mean, a lot and, more. And, uh, very easy to get it more responsive and more flowy and more reactive, but a lot harder to get it 
you know, super locked in on the stops like the V-Bar's got. Yeah, and another thing I find with the V-Bar versus Icon, and this is something that I think people generally don't change, is I find on the V-Bar actually run um, less expo, so more sensitive off-center. And that's just kind of playing into that whole, like you had mentioned, Nick, the V-Bar, you couldn't quite get that sensitivity right off-center. So I increased Mm -hmm. the paddle sim. Um I find the agility slider or the uh, style slider does not have a huge effect on the off center, but I can also, but then I go in and drop down the expo a little bit combined with paddle sim. And that helps me achieve that little bit um, more yeah, of an icon feel. So, you know, it even gets into expo where I know some people 20% everything, no matter what fly system. Well, that yeah. can also have, you know, quite an effect on the feel of the heli. Oh yeah. I mean I I default I try to start around twenty percent, but man, again, you know, they're it's getting to the point where they're all a little bit different and models, Justin, you know, touched on that. And Kai, that has been one that I have just jumped in with all of these different helis. <laughs> I was blown away. I mean, how is it that you can take a V bar with the default settings and put everything on the slider area that it says. Mm-hmm. And on one model, the tail gains close. And on the other model, like the 700 X, I keep going back to that. I blow out the torque tube gears. It wags so bad. Oh yeah, dude. Yep. Same thing with the T-Rex DFC. I'm just now getting it to the point where I'm happy with the tail. Yeah, it, it's and it's, it's like, still and not you can't there. blame the flybarless system, and no. and I think a lot of people do that. They they judge one helicopter, you know, or oh, this is the greatest flybarless system in the world because when I put it on this, it which flies was the first great. When I tried it on, it was great. Yeah. yeah, so that must mean this helicopter is crappy, or there's yeah. something wrong with it. Takes yeah, work. you, you, no, you because- do. You got to be careful with it. And that's why, honestly, even after going through all of this, and obviously we we hope that all the listeners get something out of this and last week's show. But at the end of the day, there's no substitute for experience. And now, you know, you take all of this, listen to it, take it in, try to understand it, but don't kick yourself or get frustrated if you don't get it the first time around. Go out and fly and start doing your tuning and things will start making sense. It it may take a week. It may take six months. It may take a year, but you're going to think back and say, oh, crap. You know what? I finally got to that level and I get what they're saying about this particular thing. Absolutely. Well, man, I'm uh, I'll be really excited. I know that, Dan, you know, I, I was I was really torn on whether to bring this up. Dan had some really good luck with what we talked about last week. Yep. And I'll just give everyone a hint on that. He had some really good luck. He went and applied because he's, I mean, really, he is no different than the majority of the people listening to the show in that he has just not done anything in the past. Nope, it flew, fly. And now he's really progressing and getting into that tuning, and he's asking a lot more questions. So he applied what we talked about and had really, really good luck. So it'll be, uh, I'm excited to touch bases with oh, yeah. him next week and, and hear from him, you know, what worked, what didn't work, what he found, and uh, and that sort of a thing. Yep. But it's been, man, what, what a blast 
for our last couple of episodes. Oh yeah, I oh, dig yeah, this stuff. Man. We've it's been wanting stuff. to do this, this is one like for the core. Uh, I feel like this is flying helicopter. I mean, this is the reality really of is. flying helicopters. More and more as as time goes on, it it it's it's probably seventy percent of it once you get the thing off the ground. Yep. Precision, speed, torque, and power. We'd expect nothing less out of a servo put on the market by a guy that pushes his equipment to the absolute limits flight after flight. If they're good enough for Bert, then they're good enough for me. BK Servos. Keeping my heli feeling connected. www.bkservo.com Well, guys, I suppose we probably better start wrapping this thing up. Yeah, now that we all have yeah, awesome flying helis, we can we can yeah, call it a yeah, show. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now get out and fly them and learn. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Hats still kicking away at the hats. Um, the you know the quality, the the lettering, the citizen numbers on the back. The company that we're working with is actually. I mean, I've been impressed with the consistency of it. So that's good. You know, I try and get them out once a week. It just kind of depends on how my week goes. But um, I do believe we're all caught up on that. Uh, website, uh, we've got, again, if you have events, get those events mailed to Dieter at rchellynation.com. He'll get those up on the website. All the events are up there. Um, so check your calendars. Compare with that. Also, don't forget, thanks to our awesome dude man, Larry, web guy, you can actually add that calendar to your phone. Which yep. is just how do I not have that awesome. in my phone? Silence. That was the politest way of saying because you're stupid. Well, we didn't want to say I didn't that. want to say. Yeah. But I know. So thank you for <laughs> not saying that. We didn't want but to. But it was still very apparent. Yeah. <laughs> uh, tech let's tips, see, forum dude. still tech tips. What? Oh, yes. We, we're, we're pumping them out as quickly as we can. There are a lot of new ones up there. Uh, I've gotten yelled at by a couple of listeners in the last week for not having the ones up yet that I've promised. Sorry, I'm <laughs> getting behind, guys, but I will get the foolproof connectors and battery tech tips up there probably realistically in the next two weeks because I also got to get this Goblin review done. But if there are any tech tips out there that you guys want, let us know. Yep. And kind of along the same lines, you know, we had, I made the promise that we were going to get digging in done, but this episode series kind of came up and it was something where we, you know, we really wanted these, these last couple episodes to be, you know, just kind of organic and go with how they went. Everyone thinks we plan. We don't plan shit. We just come on here and we do it. <laughs> And so um, now I'm really glad that these two are over with and then we can make sure and that we're not doing anything redundant in this yeah. uh, in this next digging in and, and we can dig into the areas where we feel that's, you know, that we didn't touch or go even farther if we think we needed to go more, provide more information. So we'll be wrapping that one up here shortly. Uh, Facebook. Uh, obviously still super active, lots of people up there joking, horsing around. Um, so if you have not on Facebook, 
hop over to ours, like it, share it, please help get the word out. Citizen giveaway once again. Congratulations, Rob Bingham, on the Gowie X3. Oh, yeah, dude. Such a blast. Yeah, just that's it's rad. I love being able to give stuff away. Absolutely love it. Let's see what uh, fun. Oh, fun fly. That little event coming up. Yeah, that that little event coming up. Justin, what's the date? June 26th to June 29th. You can arrive as early as 5 p.m. on Thursday, the 26th. And you might even be able to get some fly in it. Yeah, that's right. 2,200 feet of paved flight line, people. It's beautiful. Awesome. And sliding autos suck because they wear out your well, skin. Well, they're fast. they're awesome the first time. <laughs> they look cool. They're and awesome then, for and three then you times. have to yeah, then you have to replace your skins. Yeah. No, they're rad. It's a it's a beautiful field. If you haven't been out, you got to come check it out. We have so much fun out at our fun oh, fly. Oh yeah. It's it really is a unique fun fly unlike any that I've been to. And uh yeah, we just appreciate everyone's support. Thanks again to Progressive RC uh supporting the fun fly helping us being able to do what we do. And, you know, as always, thanks again to all of our show sponsors. Um, you guys show them their your love. They they believe in what we're doing, and uh, we believe in them. So try and give back if you can with your business. Oh, yeah. I think. God, I'm, I'm sure. I, I think we're something. done, dude. And I think, I think, I think sure we did it. I think we got it. So if everyone has any questions and they want to direct all of those towards Justin, because he's going to have a little downtime with no radio. Justin, how would they get <laughs> out of oh, <laughs> Dude, I had just started forgetting about that. <laughs> you could email me at Justin at rchelination.com. And Jesse. You could definitely send me an email at jesse at rchelination.com. All right, and you guys could get a hold of me at nick at rchelination.com. If you had any questions or comments for Dan, that's dan at rchelination.com. And Dieter, with the events and just general questions, uh, d-e-a-t-e-r at rchelination.com. Well, boys, this is episode number 134. All alone we are once again. But it's been good. I've enjoyed it. I hope everyone else has enjoyed it. Oh, yeah. yeah. And we hope you have enjoyed listening to this episode. Have a good week, and please get some stick time. Have a good week, guys. Talk to you next time. Take it easy, guys. This has been a production of RC Heli Nation, LLC, and is brought to you by... KDE Direct, Soco Heli Tools, Progressive RC, Genzase Batteries, Blade Helicopters, BK Servos, and Rotary Wing RC. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, please feel free to send us an email.